of the summer is upon us. And the State of Combat on CBS Sports is here to get you all kinds of fired up. Your boy VC, the Brian Campbell, back in your ear hole. The syringe is loaded. The summer party is ready. I'm coming to take all your beer and your ladies. And I'm coming with a lethal dose of that performance-enhancing audio. Well, that too. That too, folks. Getting you fired up at SummerSlam time. BC in the house. I got a co-host. I got a podcast. I'm ready to talk all things WWE SummerSlam. G1 Climax final weekend. And remind you to pay it forward. This summer holiday season with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever wherever you consume fine audio. But I'm not going to fool around today. Second half of this show will be a detailed SummerSlam preview. We'll have our video component available on YouTube to check that out. And I got to jump right into the business here with my co-host. Say hello to the bad guy. He's South Florida's uh, most bitter homeowner. He hedged a few times. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now, BC, massive show, or should I say massive shows ahead this week. Not only do we have our WWE kind of slash NJPW edition of State of Combat today. I actually almost said ITC right there. Caught myself at the last second. We have a very special edition of the podcast coming up Thursday. NXT superstars, Adam Cole, Bebe, and Johnny Gargano, the two main eventers for NXT TakeOver Toronto, one-on-one, or should I say two-on-one, BC and the Silver King interviewing those dudes, previewing the entirety of NXT TakeOver Toronto. And on this show, Brian mentioned the SummerSlam preview. He mentioned NJPW G1 Climax 29 preview. We also have the psychopath himself, Drew McIntyre. Oh, that's got a psychopath, yes. Not a psychopath. One-on-one, actually, this time with BC speaking with Drew. That is later in the show. But BC, there is so freaking much to talk about, right? So much to feel. I mean, do you feel that? feel that. I felt it in my bones. I'm feeling it inside my bones as well. I am live and direct from the CBS Sports Stanford, Connecticut office. Silver King, just down the road from Titan Towers. Saw that on the drive in. You're in the same building as WWE Network, aren't you? Yes, I am. I am. I will be in the same studio for the second half of this podcast that WWE Network has used for uh, many shows, including the uh, WWE Legends of Wrestling 24-7 uh, on-demand show they used to have more than a decade ago. You know that, you sure t- that smoky studio with the cigars, Jim Ross, Mean Gene? Yeah, absolutely. I know you popped for it major. I know you also popped Tuesday night for a little Buddy Murphy, and I think that's where we should start as we get into. What, you're going to assume the- I pop for that? You're going to assume I enjoyed that? You're going to assume that that wasn't a uh, Montreal screwjob inside my pantalones right there? As we get into the main event. This is the main event! I mean, you tell me how you felt, BC, because we got the Roman Buddy Murphy face-to-face that you wanted so bad, but we also, at the same time, Silver King got paid off with ABC. You're going to be disappointed no matter how this turns out. So go ahead. Talk to me what you thought. The closing segment, Tuesday night on SmackDown. Oh, sorry. I had a pause to cough there. I've got this shaky cough. I cannot get rid of. Possibly I'm dying. We will find out in the end. But 
Um, we had a face-to-face. I didn't need face-to-face. I needed nothing face-to-face. Nothing face-to-face. Yeah. Nothing face-to-face. Nothing face-to-face. You got it? Because so- guess what? Because that's how men do. That's what Randy says at the end of that interview. The problem is, they gave me what I wanted, which is Buddy kind Murphy of. linked into this soap opera, into this storyline. But I didn't get the Buddy Murphy... That Sasha pops for, right? The Buddy Murphy that Alexa used to pop for. The moment we saw him, we thought, sex. And I mean Sasha the dog, not Sasha Banks, obviously. Uh, We got Buddy Murphy the bitch. We got Buddy Murphy that straight up backed down. So I know you want to do this, I told you so, don't get your hopes up. But, But I did sort of pull from your playbook and hedge and say, look, I want it to be Buddy Murphy. I'm going to wish it into existence, but... If it's Daniel Bryan, good God, I'm going to pop for this. Fastlane rematch 2015. Give me this thing. I think it's Daniel Bryan. I don't know. It could be Rowan. I mean, it looks like Rowan. All I know is if it wasn't Buddy Murphy, then don't do the extra rim tease, WWE. Don't do it. Instead, <laughs> they gave me what they what I thought I wanted. They're like, oh, BC, it's your time, bro. Oh, what's your favorite meal? Lasagna. Here you go. Oh, Sorry. We ordered the vegetable version because you took Buddy Murphy, this thing that has been waiting in the bullpen, prime John Rocker with the bulging steroided biceps. You pulled him out of the bullpen and then you sat him down like that episode of Oz and dropped a dump right on top of him. Because guess what? You can't come back from this, Adam, because guess what they showed you? That he's not elite. He cowers in the face of the elite. So not only did I not get what I want, but they took what I wanted and they dragged it through the mud on the way there. So they can have this angle. You can have this angle. Enjoy. Okay. I love the role reversal here because I'm going to give you some silver lining. The silver lining is we saw Buddy freaking Murphy face to face with Roman Reigns. We saw him take a stiff shot and not completely go down. Now, yes, eventually he did kind of submit and give up the information he knew, but he tried to act like a badass in Roman Reigns' face. And to be honest with you, there's actually nothing wrong in kayfabe with getting with letting Roman Reigns get the best of you. He is the big dog. He is the top guy. It's not you know that he mean? lost the fight, Adam. It's that the fight didn't go that long and he was already giving up information he, like sorry, he, Roman, I he, didn't mean to He gave him a sh- he gave him a shot, you know, it Don't wasn't tap. Like, Don't tap. Never tap. Yeah, I don't know. I I have no issue with the way that, that transpired in terms of the way Buddy Murphy looked because what it says to me is whatever this whatever happens at SummerSlam which we don't know, and we're expecting it to be Daniel Bryan, but we don't actually know. Buddy Murphy, at some point, is going to have a match with Roman Reigns, and it may very well be one week away on Tuesday. I don't and think they will, because they, match- made, they presented him as a cruiserweight. They presented him as somebody who's not on Roman's level. And yeah, he was tough for a second, but man, he backed it pretty quick, tapped out, and gave up the information. That's not uh, my action know, hero. I don't know, That's not the guy I want. I wanted something different. What you got in your pants... And I wanted. I wanted that thing. I don't know, Brian. He was sitting down, stood up to the big dog in the company. Again, we're talking kayfabe here. I thought he was presented okay. And the silver lining of all of this is even though this was a big womp womp at the end, and I thought it did not deliver, and SmackDown as a whole I actually thought was relatively terrible, despite all of that, from a storytelling perspective, there's ambition here. They're actually trying to do a multi-week story, you know, storyline into a major show 
They're weaving in red herrings because you did see Buddy Murphy in his baseball shirt in the background, and they did pay that off at least, and we saw Rowan in another screen cap. They're paying that off. I can't tell you from a booking or scripting perspective why it was so freaking bad. Like, they cut to the ring and Rowan's just standing there like, yeah, Yeah, you know. They don't say anything. Daniel Bryan doesn't have a mic. There was no payoff to it, so that's supposed to make us want to watch SummerSlam to see maybe Roman Reigns and Rowan, even though we probably know it's going to be Daniel Bryan. This entire SummerSlam build, and we'll talk about it later, it is really suffering from two things. One, that Raw reunion was terribly timed in terms of you know when it happened in the schedule. And two, they moved up the date of SummerSlam like one or two weeks earlier than it normally is. And this shortened time span has done a disservice to the entire card. It has made it extremely rushed. And honestly, this is just an example of it. It's the second biggest show of the year. It feels like a B pay-per-view. It just does. I I won't go that far. <clears throat> you said that you actually wow, you there was you had your silver linings playbook out. We never hear optimistic Adam. Optimistic Adam just turned dark at the end of that. You said something in the beginning that was optimistic. That they are trying. So I don't I wouldn't give this a B build overall. SmackDown, not good this week. Raw? Pretty damn good. Had some yeah. low moments, had some big low moments. But overall, the ambition is keeping me excited. The ambition of this SummerSlam card, where it's fitting in in the timeline of the launch to Fox and the recent panic to fix the stock prices and bringing in Heyman and Bischoff and all that, I've given them a pass. We've talked about that. I don't hate this as much, but some people have fielded your tweets, Adam, and they have things to say right now. In fact, one person. Kentucky Long Rifle. What is that, an email? Adam, remember that fellow Tommy Wrestling at Tommy underscore takeover? Uh, sometimes, yeah. You may have muted him. I'm not really sure. He says, BC, explain to your boy, the Silver King, that marketing a pay-per-view isn't like it used to be. Silver King's Twitter negativity makes me want to mute him on occasion. This is already wrong, but go ahead. See what I did there, he says? Because Silver King has muted me. The use of a whodunit or a short build that ramps up quickly or using social media to create interest in an upcoming event are all totally acceptable in the year of our Lord 2019. Why? Because they are not trying to sell a million pay-per-view buys. They're trying to get people to sign up or resub to the network. Yes, they could have done things differently the past four weeks, but overall... Things are trending the way we want them to, and they are trying. All we can truly hope for is effort in this period leading up to the Fox and AEW launch. Now, Silver King, I thought you were going in the direction to tell Tommy to stuff it, stick it, when you said they are trying. I don't know if I fully agree on that on that B-show build. This still feels like SummerSlam. This still feels big. We got Trish involved. We got Goldberg involved, even though I don't want him involved. This still kind of feels like the biggest party of the summer. Yeah, I mean, look, it, there are big names on the show. There are big matches on the show, but you cannot tell me, and you know because we've talked about it with the women's matches, despite the Becky-Natalia feud, despite Natalia's terrible mic work over the last couple of weeks that has built up into something that I do want to see, right? They've done a good job getting me excited about a couple matches on the show, but I already gave you the reasoning of the rush timeline, the show being moved up a couple weeks. It doesn't feel SummerSlam does not feel as important as it should be. And telling me that because WWE isn't worried about pay-per-view buys, but they are worried about network subscriptions that they don't have to do as good of a job building the show. That's completely ridiculous. This is not stomping grounds. It's SummerSlam. You have the SummerSlam, you have the Royal Rumble, you have WrestleMania. 
Those are your three major tentpole events. Yeah, I know that Survivor Series exists. That's been bastardized. There's no more King of the Ring. And even Money in the Bank this year, they ran it right after WrestleMania. They devalued that as well. This is freaking SummerSlam. This is your second biggest event of the year. You're building it on site like a WrestleMania where you have access and you have all these events happening. You stay in one town for four days. They're going to be in Toronto for TakeOver, SummerSlam, Raw, and SmackDown. I don't care. You can make all the excuses you want. You have to do a better job building a show top to bottom than this. Brian, there There's are no irony and, here, Silver King. There's a lot of irony going on right now. You could say it's coincidence if you're an Alanis Morissette fan. I say irony right now. couple things. One, you're using the argument right now. This is SummerSlam that you should have used last SummerSlam. You should have met me inside of those dirty bed sheets, brother, because that's the- where this argument belonged last year when they mailed in SummerSlam. And number two, do you remember what city... Uh, John and Yoko laid in them sheets it was Toronto, Adam. They're back in Toronto this weekend. And it sounds like you're doing this show from a bed. You're pre angry that they're going to hit us with what they hit us last year. Here's why you're, this is a horrible point by you. That was a great take, you, bro. That was you a great were, take. Oh, it's bad. You were referring to post SummerSlam. I'm talking about the build to SummerSlam, the build to last year's SummerSlam was good. We were excited about the show. That's why you were so disappointed, Brian. We're going into this show being like, oh, it could be good. The card looks pretty decent. Oh, Goldberg and Trish Stratus are on the card. Brian, there's no, they have some of the best work being done in WWE the last two months, like it or not, has been from their tag teams. There's zero tag team matches on the show, zero tag team titles being defended. The Intercontinental Championship is not on the show. Granted, it's Nakamura, but Nakamura, since he's had the title, has been pretty damn great. We have a WrestleMania rematch in Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins, and that's where I want to go to next. That the build for it, Ryan, it's been a failure, like top to bottom, a failure. Yeah, and that Monday night was just—it was just <clears throat> terrible. Well, hold on, is this really what you—you you didn't, you didn't close the books on Tommy Takeover, Tommy Wrestling? Is this basically what you're telling him? Take a shower, hit the weights, get a clue. Here's the thing about Tommy. Tommy will send us eight messages every show so eight for raw eight for smackdown like two of each eight are good really good points the other six is this guy just shooting his shot trying to get on the show so, so the vince russo you for the good for you he's the vince russo of our fans is what you're what you're really saying here um let's transition into rollins and lesnar let's hear from one of our people and you can tell me if you agree with where this is going this is from a fellow named john dunphy you know this guy at john dunphy 68 adam family member here right you know him right Familiar. All right, BC, I can't even believe I'm asking this. But am I wrong for experiencing go-away heat from Seth Rollins? That promo after being beaten down by Lesnar again didn't do anything beyond making me want Rollins to just go away, as they've made it impossible for me to believe he has any chance of beating Lesnar unless he nutshots him over and over before the match. His whining about having nothing else made me feel like I was watching Richard Gere in an Officer and a Gentleman movie that I hate. There is no way Rollins can't beat Lesnar clean and it be remotely plausible. The storyline needs to end and it's time to give Rollins some time off and rethink his character because right now he's annoying me more than entertaining me. God bless you, John Dunphy. Nailed it. As Apollo Creed once said, ding, ding. Absolutely nailed it, man. It's so terrible. And I I know I'm being very general and just using adjectives like terrible, horrible, etc. But Seth Rollins acting on Monday night 
It was pathetic. It was not only was it bad, the storyline of him limping slowly to the ring and Lesnar letting him get in, and then he charges him while still limping, didn't make sense. If he was faking it and he was actually healthy and he dodged the Lesnar attack, hit him with the chair and got one up on him moving into SummerSlam, that's a little exciting. That gives a little something. Hey, I'm not as injured as you thought I was, even though you beat the hell out of me last week. Instead, we have a face who's gotten the, in, the crap beaten out of him in two consecutive weeks. And now he cuts that promo, Brian, Blame. where the crowd didn't even buy it. The crowd in Pittsburgh, which is a good TV town, was just like they were at doing what chance? They were barely listening to him when he said, I guarantee I'm going to win at SummerSlam. They gave him like a tepid pop. This is a face, a yeah. baby face, so a white like, me baby face, guaranteeing a win at a major pay-per-view. He has to win. When faces do that, they win. So that tells me that WWE thought booking Seth Rollins this pathetically after only beating Lesnar, as our DMer said, with nut shots, which I already criticized after WrestleMania and in multiple weeks since. They think this is going to get Seth Rollins over as a monster babyface? No. No, sir. Um, this is really bad. I actually like the writing of that promo. It's just for the wrong character and the wrong actor delivering it. That yeah. promo would have worked for similar to that Sami Zayn face run he had at the end where he was just taking beatings from everybody, but he's like, you know, I will keep getting up. And that works for a certain person. It's not working now. Um, we're going to get into this in the preview, but Lesnar has to win. He has to win. He should win. If they do anything but Lesnar win, they've turned him into Reigns. They have turned Rollins into Reigns. Billy Habibi gave us a great DM. I don't have the time to read, but he ended it with basically asking us, are we pulling for Lesnar? How could you not be? Because they made Rollins as unlikable as they've made Reigns at times. And that's, man, that's bad. That's bad. But Adam, you and I talked about offline with this. Anytime. They cash in on a Rollins heel turn. He's back, baby. He's back with a bang. Yeah. So it doesn't worry me so much, but it has robbed from my entertainment. I still like the overall build for SummerSlam based on the situ the unique situation, but this is the flat tire element of it. No question. It's almost so strange that they've done such a good job with Kofi. They've almost built Kofi's run in a picture-perfect fashion because every other top-level main event babyface they get their hands on they ruin, and it is not the fault of the superstars. It was not Roman Reigns' fault. He was built the way he was for 18 months. It's not Seth Rollins' fault. Now, all right, maybe the delivery of the promo and some of the work on Monday was his fault, but it's not his fault that he's being put in a situation where he's going back up against Lesnar, coming out of a three-month feud with Baron Corbin, the last of which was more about his girlfriend than it was actually him, and that every time that he was referred to, it was Becky Lynch's boyfriend on the show. This is your universal champion. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just trying to explain here. So they have done Reigns previously and Rollins now, a massive disservice. And even Reigns on SmackDown, despite them doing a legitimate better job with him because they're not forcing him into the main event, I'm not saying they had to take my direction and my storyline for Reigns with Drew McIntyre, but I would not be surprised if Reigns ends up losing on this pay-per-view, especially if it is against Daniel Bryan, because he's so shaken up, and they actually build that storyline that we've been talking about, except instead of using his real-life cancer, they're doing it this way. He got demoralized, he got scared for his life, and they're, they're going this route. But I don't have any faith in that. I'm expecting Roman Reigns to win at the pay-per-view, because you know what, Brian? Roman Reigns always wins at the pay-per-view. And when it comes to this, they just had, as I said, a white meat babyface, their guy, the number one guy on Raw, guarantee a victory <clears throat> in a state 
I don't know how they have Brock Lesnar win. And if oh, they, they don't, they and, if, and if Rollins does win, I have a feeling it's going to be atrocious. Wow. We'll get more into that in the predictions portion of this preview. But uh, you almost feel like right now, because the booking and the writing have changed for the better overall. They're trying things. They're atten- they're, there's a f- different feel. Are you like me, though, Adam, where when something happens, you go, that's a Vince idea. That's Vince overriding Heyman. Now, we don't know for sure. We don't know what the system's really like. But this is one of those builds where you're like, this is Vince all the way. This is just not consistent with the ability of the performers involved. It's just not good. I think it's very easy to point out the differences. Um, Even there were multiple reports from everyone that is a semi or complete legit wrestling reporter on Tuesday that Vince McMahon rewrote SmackDown up to 90 minutes before it aired. Uh, And this, and this is the third straight week that has reportedly happened. Now the prior two weeks were great. So Vince, if you're going to rewrite something and it's going to be fantastic, then good for you. I'll take it. But that this whole week, Despite Raw being perfectly fine to very good, it was not a go-home week. This looked like maybe two weeks out, three weeks out from a major pay-per-view. SmackDown on Tuesday was an absolute failure as a go-home show. And Monday, it just left a lot to be desired for me. Having Lesnar and Rollins end in that fashion, it, it doesn't give me any reason to think Rollins should win, despite me knowing that I think he will win which is not the right mentality for a fan to be going into a show. Adam, we're not going to talk about Buddy Murphy again. I forgot I wanted to read you one DM, and then we can rapid fire here to, uh, to get through what happened on Monday and Tuesday this week. But coming in hot and heavy, I've never heard of this fellow, Akeem Iverson, at 2WO19. Have you heard of this guy? That's a newbie. All right, BC, amazing show. You and Adam bring it every week and are a constant staple of my week. Thank you to the both of you for all your great work. Wow. Wow. There we go. I don't know if he's going to get Andre levels with us there for a second. You think you going to come in my, on my bus all the time? No, no, no absolutely not. Uh, where do are you, we at? Do you guys don't know, is Brian mouths the words to that every time he plays it? It's very awkward. So I was thinking about your Buddy Murphy theory, BC, about Roman, and I want to take it further. Remember when Big E came back and then later in the episode he was mysteriously injured backstage and then KO and Ziggler denied attacking him? What if Murphy is methodically taking out the competition? And let's just say as a possible swerve, Roman or Murphy feuds for a few months, giving Murphy great rub with Roman ultimately going over thinking Murphy was hired by the McMahons to take him out. But Murphy tells Roman, I was hired to take you out, but it wasn't by a McMahon. In comes Seth freaking Rollins, and he beats the Hobbs and Shaw out of Roman. Seth admits he hired Murphy because he became obsessed with becoming the top guy in the company while Roman was out. And this will make sense about the big E attack because Kofi started to appear on Raw every week, stealing a little bit of Seth's thunder because of the fans chanting Kofi louder than burn it down. I say all this ultimately setting us up for Roman versus Seth at WrestleMania 36 in Tampa. Cue the sirens, BC, because I'm not Brandy, but I'm all in. Are you all in, Brian? Adam, why do we feel like, and thank you, Akeem Iverson, for bringing it right there. Why do we feel like we can write the big stuff better? I can't write the week-to-week WWE, 12 different feuds. I get it. I'm not a professional writer. It's a hard business. Why do we feel like we could add the intricacies to the big storylines that we saw in the 80s that we just don't see today? Yeah, I think the intricacy is the key. And that's where, again, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or anything, but going back to like my Drew McIntyre pitch, him beating Reigns at WrestleMania, that's where that all came from. It was 
if you want to tell a long-term storyline with Roman Reigns, you don't do what you did in the year leading up to their Brock Lesnar match, which failed so massively that Vince at the last minute decided to have Lesnar win in the main event of WrestleMania and, and just made it even worse, basically. What you do is you have to actually have someone working from an underdog role, even if they are the top superstar in the company. You have to be able to make it so that John Cena, you know, loses his confidence in himself, or Roman Reigns does, or, or even Steve Austin occasionally would get beaten down so often he would stop going after the title and would have to work his way back up the ladder. That was more because of an authority situation, but still, point is being made. That's why the Kofi Kingston storyline works so well, because it was natural. It is the truth. It's really what happened to Kofi Kingston. He did really, I'm not even just talking about Randy Orton, I'm talking about up on the road to WrestleMania. He really did never get an opportunity and felt, you know what? This guy, Xavier Woods, man, he keeps pushing me to try to do a group with him. What do I have to lose? They do it, it works, so on and so forth. These guys push Kofi. Someone gets injured. Kofi gets into a match. That's all real life. That all actually happened. Um, so that's why it works so well. So with a Roman Reigns, you have this guy facing death, facing real life cancer here. And you had the opportunity to utilize that since you already did it, especially, and you're already saying, hey, I'm not better than this. And you had the opportunity to have him lose at the biggest show of the year and have a 12-month storyline where you take him all the way up to it. Now, my only hope, BC, is they felt, hey, for a year it doesn't make sense for Roman to be down that long that often. And they said, hey, we're going to have him go through Drew, but now we're going to do this thing with Daniel Bryan. But if you told me me at WrestleMania that I'm getting face reigns built up over six months versus heel Rollins or even heel Daniel Bryan in a major match in the main event – Roman Reigns is going to get cheered as long as you do the long, long-term storytelling. The mega powers are about to explode in my pants right now. They could have there. So I think what we're the point of that whole me reading that DM is we got to lo- stop allowing Vince to rewrite the show three hours before it goes to air or <laughs> in the minutes leading up to because it kills the continuity. It kills the idea of long-form storytelling. It's constantly reacting to the moment and going, probably, bring in our social media guy. What's the metrics on this? Oh, this? Okay, let's switch the, this weekend or let's switch the whatever. Where when it used to be simpler, it used to be Pat Patterson by the pool, maybe Bruce with, a, with, a, uh, re- with some reefer on the side and... I know what you could do longer terms because you didn't have Raw every week, but come on, WWE. Come on, Vince. Thank you. What Let's was the accent moving. you just had when you said Pat Patterson? It was my uh, my French my French Canadian one. It's uh, it goes back to my roots. My people are from Quebec. Okay. Okay, if you say so. Uh, a lot more happened Monday and Tuesday, and we're going to talk about the actual matches of the show during the SummerSlam preview, along with go home storylines and everything else. So. Don't forget to listen to that later in the show. But some things happen that probably won't make it to SummerSlam BC that I think are actually worthwhile talking about. They finally had a women's tag team title match, and it was a fatal four-way once again. I think that makes like like five out of seven total women's tag team title matches have included multiple teams of like three or more, including the initial one, obviously, at that elimination chamber. Uh, but we had Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross winning the titles, beating the Kabuki Warriors, actually pinning Kyrie Sane, the Iconics got eliminated right at the start of the match. Fire and Desire were also there, but they didn't mean much. Do you agree with me that great match actually would not have minded it on SummerSlam, even if it was a kickoff show match? But, you know, there are positives and negatives to Bliss and Cross being champions. I'm not, I don't hate it. I actually like it. So this year, I like that we got really good matches on the go-home shows. SmackDown as a show, not great, more like Raw, that could have been pay-per-view bouts, 
but there's no room for him. And do I want SummerSlam to be seven and a half hours and have people stuck at the Toronto train station until three in the morning standing in the rain <laughs> and trying to pay uh, unlicensed cabs $200 in cash to try to get out of there? No. Um, take, a, take a cue and a clue from Paul Levesque and put your best stuff on SummerSlam. Now, look, SummerSlam is probably still going to be six hours no matter what. But saying, basically straight up saying, we didn't have the room for this, so let's put it on TV. Let's, let's showcase it. It worked out great. This match was really damn good. It started to get better as it went on, had some magic in it at the end. I don't hate this because I want to see where they're going with this. I mean, Kabuki's were the star of this match from a wrestling standpoint, but yep. they, they haven't seemed to figure out where this Alexa Nikki storyline is going. Seems like they're in the middle of it right now, so I'm willing to take that chance and find it out because there's something here. There's, I think there's something here. I think the positive is with a lot of people are upset that Alexa Bliss won another title, and she's now a triple crown champion in WWE, Raw, SmackDown, and the women's tag team titles, right? But the positive of it, the silver lining, is Alexa Bliss is always on TV. Alexa Bliss is often on both shows. So what that does is it actually gets the women's tag team titles on both shows, and it creates a scenario where maybe you do build a match with the Kabuki Warriors for Survivor Series, and you have a great match and do a ch- title change and put the titles on a team that has a great talk piece, a mouthpiece in um, Paige, and is the best wrestling team out of all the women's division right now, now that Bailey and Sasha Banks are broken up. So despite me being upset the Kabuki Warriors didn't win because I felt they deserved it, they're a team that we want to see wrestle frequently on television. Putting the titles on Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross actually does something for the titles that the Iconics really can't do. It gets them on a superstar who Vince McMahon wants to feature on both shows. So for that, it was a positive. I thought the match was great. I thought it was far better than the singles elimination match that they had that got booed out of the building to determine the number one contender. I think it was Raw. Uh, That was horrible. This was the exact opposite. Constant action. They did a commercial break. It made sense when they did it. Everything really, really worked. And by the way, they did... I don't know if you noticed, WWE did reverse their no matches during commercials policy, thank God. And the shows are both way better now that they actually take those breaks and, and they do them. They've lessened them, but they're still doing them. Uh, so for me, it was a win. The only thing I wish, Brian, this one and the next match we're going to talk about, Sami Zayn against Aleister Black, which happened on SmackDown that we thought was headed for SummerSlam. Advertise them for the show. Say, hey, this is a SummerSlam match. It's going to be on Raw. It's your co-main event. And promote it, even if it's earlier that day. Don't just suddenly give it to us and have us be like, oh, well, this wasn't good enough for SummerSlam, so they well, cut they it. Did Promote it as this is a really big match that we're giving you on TV. Right, but they set it up as a swerve with Sami Zayn mouthing off and not knowing. I didn't hate that. Look, again, if you're telling me I find out an hour before SummerSlam this is on the kickoff show, it no longer matters. It doesn't. So at least <laughs> it had its spot. Again, happy with that. Really happy with that Andrade Rey Mysterio match that I thought Adam was actually one of the better TV matches in the last few years. That was extreme pay-per-view quality. That was badass. That was perfect timing in every one of those frantic closing sequences. That's about as entertained on live TV as you can get. It was great. And actually on 205 Live, they had uh, Umberto Carrillo against Lince Dorado. So they had two Lucha matches uh, in this week, like Lucha versus Lucha matches. And both were fantastic. The ladder match I just talked about, latter, not ladder, just in case you didn't hear that, uh, went to a double countout. So they're going to probably roll that back again. But these matches are great. I want to see Andrade have that match with someone else. He's now fought Rey Mysterio like four times this year. And it's great and it's entertaining. But where's that story going? Like they, 
you can't just keep having them face each other and then there not be a payoff. So I want to see Andrade in a feud that matters for a mid-card title. Get this guy going with something. And Rey Mysterio, like we said it when WWE brought him back, he is so much better than his age suggests that he should be. But he has not been in anything meaningful. And even the feud with Samoa Joe was completely botched at the end. All right. Uh, other stuff going down, Brian. We had The Fiend return and interrupt another match. This time, Kurt Angle was the special guest referee in Pittsburgh, and The Fiend gave him the Mandible Claw. So two things for you. One, do you love that the Mandible Claw was not just used on Foley? This is now apparently either his new finisher or his submission finisher. And two, do you love another legend taking the fall for The Fiend? Oh, it's great. Everything about that is fantastic. Um, There's already people DMing me. I won't reveal their names who are like, have we had enough of this? No, I haven't had enough of this. When The Fiend shows up, damage happens. It's great. Keep that up. You consider that mixed with the fact that we got a Firefly Funhouse this week. That was really good. Like Bray Wyatt's hitting home runs every single time. This has been perfect. Keep this going. The other thing I think that really stood out for me was, and this has been over the last month or so, WWE is finding ways to put people on TV even if they're not in matches or even if they're not in long segments. And I think we saw that this week again with Cedric Alexander and the Drew McIntyre situation. We saw Ali featured again as he waits for the opportunity challenge for Nakamura's title. And we saw out of nowhere, feel spot almost, Chad Gable face-to-face with Elias backstage on SmackDown in a segment that like, I was like, wow, they're actually giving Chad Gable an angle here. And Elias loses so much. I really hope it's not just like, hey, we're going to put Chad Gable on TV, let Elias squash him next week on SmackDown, and then and then move on. I hope this is something where Chad Gable can like get some momentum. Yeah, it, what about well, you? It's just refreshing. It, it, it feels like it's a Paul Heyman thing because it timed well with him joining in a creative role where this started happening. His pumping up the Street Profits to that weekly segment that now I look for every single time on Raw that's fantastic. And um, it just goes back to what we used to complain about a year ago, a year and a half ago that they just can't book mid-card feuds. There's just nothing there anymore. All these mid-card guys are just sort of used to to trade wins and losses. Now we're back to doing that. Now we're getting, like we just mentioned, these payoffs on regular TV because there's no pay-per-view time. This is great. This is how it should be. You should have mid-card feuds that actually have hooks to them, not just, again, I ran in on your interview and talked trash, and now we're feuding. Great. Love it. Need it. Keep it going. Lots right. of, there's a lot to be happy about, Adam. I know you came in here. You really weren't sure which which side of your heart you were going to put down there, the black side that takes up most of it or, or, or the silver side. Well, just like last week where you didn't fully listen to the points I was making and tried to make generalizations about me, uh, just like last week, there's, a, there's two sides to the coin. there, And it's not a hedge. It's just being honest. I didn't like these as go-home shows. I didn't think they delivered enough to get us ready for a SummerSlam. What I did think that they achieved was they put a lot of stuff on television that got me excited to watch TV next week to see where does this Chad Gable Elias thing go? What's going to happen next with Drew McIntyre and Cedric Alexander? And being able to keep me hooked into the TV while simultaneously promoting a pay-per-view is difficult. I think they achieved that. I just don't think they did a really good job promoting the pay-per-view, and I don't really think there's anything wrong with having that opinion. All right. Look, some people, when they buy houses – they jump in the hot tub and they put on the music and grab a drink with an umbrella in it. I'm one of those people, all right? Yeah, I had to sell the hot tub to get money and then I had to fix the plumbing in my master shower. So it's not, sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes you have to take the good of owning a new home 
with the bad. Some people it, see a hot tub, they go, I need this out of my house right now. And look, there's people like that in the world. They can, they can coexist with me. I'm ready for you that. Forget you forget where you live versus where I live. Hot tubs in Connecticut are needed. They're a necessity, maybe. Uh, in Florida, South Florida, you do not need one, especially when your community has my to. All right. I live in Florida. They used to have a hot tub. We used it every waking second. I don't listen. We come from different backgrounds. I'm not French Canadian like you. I'm South that's Floridian. Very and true. We're true. used to it being hot. I don't need more heat on a daily basis. Uh, BC, before we move on, we had a pretty fun, at least in my opinion, 24 7 segment this week. Maria pays off and visits the OBGYN. Mike Pinzer, you know, on the table with her feet in stirrups, had the female referee. I'm sorry. I'll look it up I, off the top. I think her name's Jessica, but I'm forgetting her name off the top of my head. Um, and then our truth, obvi- obviously, in the waiting room, waiting for Mike to win his 11th 24/7 championship. Did you love this? Was this old school WWE for you? You know, wh- where where did it hit you on the field? Spot? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I'm glad that they went to those levels of creating a waiting room in a doctor's office backstage. I mean, it it was great. It was fantastic. It gives me another chance to play this. If you don't let me in right now, I'm going to knock down this door and kick you in your vagina. Um. You know, it was maybe a tiny step back from the creative lately, but they're making this a must-see thing every week. And what's going to happen next with the hijinks? I was never against this idea. I was against when 50 low-card members are selling their soul to chase the champion when getting this means nothing and they're running through the arena and it's just, it's just, it's cheap and lame. But when you get, when you start putting it on and they figured out who their comedic workhorses are right now, they're doing good things. That's true. I do think it needs to expand though. So I think adding Mike Kanellis was good, but you do need to add some people from SmackDown, add some other low and mid card guys. There's no reason that a mid carder like Elias, I know he did have one title reign, but there's no reason he can't win the title. And, and have it for a couple weeks. Let's have a little bit more variety with the 24-7 title and not just stick to our truth always winning it and it always having Drake Maverick involved. You have now run that storyline for like six weeks now. Let's just exp- – I'm not saying to get rid of them. Let's expand the field a little bit, give other people an opportunity. But it is far better than it was – you're right, BC – when it started and it was roll-up city. And it still is roll-up city, but at least they occasionally give us like pinning someone – in an airplane or pinning someone with their feet in the stirrups on a, on a, not an operating table, but whatever you want to call that, a doctor's office table. I did find it as an improvement. I'm with you on that. I'm with you. All right. BC, we do have a lot of show left before we get to it. Let's hear a quick word from our friends and sponsors. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! The NBA is bigger and better than ever. Don't settle for boring analysis and fake hot takes. Get real insider knowledge, real scoops, and really weird ideas about the game we all love. An oddball with Amin El Hassan, that's him, and Charlotte Wilder, that's me. We'll hit you with funny and fearless talk on all things basketball, from the serious stories on the court, the player beefs off of it, and everything in between. You can catch Oddball with Amin El Hassan and Charlotte Wilder every Tuesday through Friday on the DraftKings Network and wherever you listen. Listen to your podcasts. And we're back. All right, Adam, it's time for our guest of the week to get people fired up, rightfully so, for SummerSlam. I never, really, last year's bed sheets were the only bad taste I really ever had in my mouth. I'm not saying there was never a bad SummerSlam, but SummerSlam, it sort of has an undefeated 
feel to it. It reminds me of being a kid. I remember being so excited for the first one. And back then they used to have it the, like the night before the first day of school. Or maybe it was the, yeah, it was basically like right at the end. So it was like the final thing of the summer to be excited for before you had to go back. Obviously it's earlier this year, but I still get those feels. Just like we do every WrestleMania year. Whether the build is good or bad, obviously Mania gets you fired up. So I'm fired up for that. I want to hear what Drew McIntyre has to say. I don't think we talked to him, correct? First time. All right. Let's do it. You got some psychotic psychopath coming at you right now, folks. Enjoy. I don't know if they're calling it the biggest party of the summer anymore, but it might as well be Sunday, August 11th, 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. And Drew McIntyre, you've made one hell of a main roster impact over the last year plus. In fact, uh, Dwayne Johnson told TMZ just, I believe, today when asked who is the next Rock or Cena that has that kind of crossover WWE star potential, he said Drew McIntyre. Your thoughts? I mean, <laughs> what do you think when you hear something like that? That's uh, pretty incredible for one. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess validation that I'm on the right path. Like, I thought it was a joke for my buddy at first. And I went, wait, that's a kind of weird joke. And I looked into it, and I saw that he actually, you know, did say what he said. And um, I just couldn't believe it. They're not somebody I admire personally. If you follow him on his social media, you know, I've met him, obviously, a bunch in person. He's one of the most driven people in the world, incredible work ethic, and just an over-the-top nice guy. He's really someone to, to model yourself after, and somebody I do use as motivation. And to hear that just really, you know, affirm that I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Well, you certainly are doing the right thing, and I don't want to act like you've already hit your ceiling because there's a lot more for you to do, but you're a legitimate main eventer in WWE in 2019. So when you look back at your inspiring up-and-down run to get to this point, are you even better in 2019 than you thought you would be when you first got in this business, or are you still looking to keep crushing more ceilings and, and move even higher? Yeah, I'm never satisfied ever. I've been doing this 19 years now since I was 15 years old. I'm only 34. Everyone thinks I'm in my 40s because I've been around so long. I debuted on WWE TV when I was 22. But um, I'm just getting started. <clears throat> no matter what I do, I'll never be happy. I think we've got a, a good run thus far. We've introduced everyone to Drew McIntyre, been in some pretty significant moments. But we've still got to keep working and build that profile and make sure I get in those main event matches where I'm drawing the fans in there. And eventually, the biggest one of all, I've got to be the first ever British world champion. That's one hell of a goal, and you seem to be on that path so quickly, so dominantly, that i got to be honest with you. We, on this podcast, get very passionate about this product, maybe too passionate. So when you're booked... No such thing. No such thing. When you're booked into a WrestleMania match this year against Roman Reigns, we're all going, this is the moment. Use Roman to catapult Drew McIntyre into people's living rooms as the next champion. You didn't get the booking that night. Do you get as frustrated as we do on this pod, banging drums and saying, it's his time. Give him the damn ball. I appreciate that uh, very much. And when I was younger, yes, I would get very frustrated. And I'd probably go to manager and I'd probably complain and I'd probably would think about right then and there. But, you know, being a little older, a little wiser, getting the time away from the company to truly build myself into a main event superstar and think more long-term. You know, there is 52 weeks 
of TV a year. And if you're on Raw and SmackDown, which I've been on both of, there's plenty of time to get there. The truth is on that night, you know, it would have been a big thing for me to win. But Roman did just come back from something so horrific and significant that he is a role model for a lot of people and a lot of kids and a lot of sick kids. You really got to think of the big picture when it comes to those situations. And he is our guy right now. So I'll get there. But unfortunately, you know, that was his night. It should have been his night. But trust me, but I keep believing you've been fired up because McIntyre is going all the way no matter what. No one can stop him. Very, very fair answer. Very sober and wise answer. And I'm sure the wisdom comes from your incredible journey up to this point. We knew you as the chosen one back then. But when you left WWE, when you had to sort of rebuild your name, when you look back on that journey through the forest to get back to where you are today, is there one conversation, one turning point, one moment that you can sort of look back on and say that was the most valuable time in me figuring this thing out? I couldn't possibly name one. There are just so many. Because like, uh, you mentioned I got, I got fired. I wasn't filling my potential. I wasn't giving everything I had. I wasn't adding to the product and to be you know, who I needed to be. I had to go away for a while, not just to apply all the lessons I learned, but also the fans would never have accepted me being an anything serious because I was that CMB guy. So when I first went away from the company, three weeks later, I appeared in Scotland. I gave my mission statement and I said a lot of bold things. But again, I was saying them as that CMB guy and the ones that believed in me said, Drew's going to do this thing. The ones who didn't said, really, that CMB guy? But someone like Mick Foley took the time after he watched that to go on Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast and say, you've got to keep an eye. Drew, he's going to be something. And I believe I found out later on, he actually told Triple H that you got to keep an eye on Drew. He's going to you know, do something, which I didn't know at the time I found out um, later. But people like Mick taking the time right away to put me over um, and then get the opportunity to be in the main event matches for multiple different companies like Evolve, like ICW like Australia was the champion, like uh, Denmark was the champion. I can't remember half the titles. But being in that main event position, I've been the face of the company again to represent the company. That's where I truly started applying all the lessons I learned in WWE, never got to apply, and finally started achieving that potential, getting comfortable being in the main events. I truly believe if you can be a top guy outside the company and draw people in and make a difference to their products, you can do it in WWE. And in Scotland, we took it from 1,000 people at the biggest show to 7,000 people by the time I left. So that's how you learn. You just got to fly that trade and see the difference in that crowd. That's where I knew, you know, I'm really doing something here. How different are you mentally today from, from that kid who, who was anointed so quickly and you showed so much potential? What's the difference in the wiring of the brains from a decade ago to now? I was actually a psychopath back then. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm more a psychopath of my drive and ambition. But back then, you know, I was so hot-headed. I just didn't understand why I wasn't getting everything right now. And you know, like I said earlier in today's social media age, where everyone's like, why isn't this happening right now? It's right here. And you just got to think, you know, bigger picture. You got to understand why things are happening. And hopefully we can logically get to our final destination. That's the biggest thing for me is just not letting, you know, perhaps a negative or not getting things right now get the best of me. Because I know how much time we have to make it happen. And I know I've made it happen in so many different places outside the company. But I won't make it happen in WWE because in the end, it was not a good way possible. There's nobody like me in the company with my experience, look, and knowledge. 
Well, your your promo game has has up to such a high level. You're insanely athletic, but I think for a lot of people who maybe remembered you back then and see you now, you got one of the best physiques in WWE. Uh, I just put you over. Can you put yourself over? When you look around that locker room, do you say, I might be the guy. It's not a body era in 2019, but I might be that guy right now. Uh, not in a way where, hey, I'm Jackson. Like good looking, I should be the man. And certainly not in that way, more uh, just because that I've been doing this so long and I learned so many lessons and I've learned lessons the hard way, which a lot of guys, you know, don't necessarily do as much these days. And with the NXT, it's a way more delicate system where you're introduced to things and a lot slower and more comfortably when back in the day, you were just kind of thrown into things and sink or swim. And I sunk so many times in so many areas in the ring and out the ring. And it was almost a miracle that I learned to uh, swim again and not just swim, swim in the deep end. And I think that's what separates me. There's nothing you can throw at me, nothing I've not seen um, that I can't overcome. And that's why I believe um, I am and will be uh, not just one of, but the top leader in this company because there's nobody like Drew McIntyre. You've been paired on screen with Shane McMahon plenty lately, and I know it hasn't been official. There's no faction name. There's no T-shirts going out there. But when I see you and Shane on the screen, sometimes Elias, sometimes Baron Corbin, sometimes the Revival by your side, I'm thinking like Four Horsemen 2.0 here. You getting those same feels? Oh, yeah, especially when it was Shane and myself and the Revival. I definitely felt the, the Four Horsemen vibe. When Shane and I are by ourselves, with a Mac attack. And uh, let's see, we get Carbon and Lashley as well. We're the buddies of Bedlam. I mean, these are not official names. These are just what we call ourselves <laughs> backstage. I've got nicknames for all my different groups. For somebody that seems like it could be a loner, I have many friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, if this is Four Horsemen 2.0, you're like a hybrid between Barry Windham and Lex Luger in some way, if we're going to compare historically. But to ask you about that and your fandom... <laughs> appreciate that. You... As long as it's just a buddy from Luger, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, there you go. Who do you think you... I don't know, sample from the most. You know, who influenced you that you believe you're sort of mixing that together with your own formula all these years later? Um, these days it's hard to pinpoint because I've been doing it so long I've kind of made it my own. But uh, there's definitely a lot of influence you know, from like uh, Fib Finley who helped me out so much since I was a kid. Um, there was stuff from uh, you know, Triple H, especially 2000. Uh, 2001 2 kind of time. Uh, Barry Windham, like you said already, is a big guy who moves. Uh, God, there's just so many. I've literally taken bits from everybody and then eventually over the years started kind of forming it into my own thing. But, uh, but I can assure you it's from all the greats and our industry that I've taken what I think would work for me. And if it didn't work, I got rid of it. Yeah, very fair. It, it seems to be really coming together now. You had a short run. In NXT, before making this big main roster push, you were the NXT champion. What do you look back on as being, as what that run sort of did for what you are now? Um, I think the NXT run was essential. And, um, you know, when I was <clears throat> finished with my contract with Impact Wrestling, my wife and I were trying to decide what the next move would be for me. Uh, we talked about Japan, and that was going to be the next conversation of it seems like the place I should go next. And William Regal uh, is also a mentor to myself. Asked me if I would take a phone call with Triple H before I make any of my decisions. And sure enough, I, I spoke to Triple H at this point. When I first was gone from WWE, the goal was to get back to WWE. Three years later, uh, and the goals had changed because I had 
you know, kind of made myself into something. I was making such a difference around the world and I was making, uh, you know, more money than I'd ever made in my life, which was a cool side effect of working so hard. So I wasn't looking to necessarily get back to WWE at this stage. It wasn't until I spoke to Triple H on the phone and, you know, he'd been following everything I was doing, seeing the difference and seeing me finally achieving that potential. And, you know, we started talking about what would be the right move for me next that I knew during that conversation. I know what it is. The right move is to go to NXT. And then I'm going to finish what I started. And now's the time to do it and the right age to do it. And NXT introduced me to the knowledgeable, um, you know, passionate audience who follow not just NXT, but every kind of wrestling across the world. I knew they would know exactly who Drew McIntyre, Drew Galloway was these days. And I know it was the right move to show up there. The fans embraced me. I got to wrestle some phenomenal opponents. He reacclimated with WWE, become NXT champion. Unfortunately, my bicep fell off. <laughs> And against Andrade, one of the takeovers. That's the only reason he won our still being NXT champion right now. Uh, recovered from that injury and got never returned to Raw. Have a substance. There's a brief history of Drew since coming back. <laughs> well done, right there. You mentioned three MB before, and, and I think the 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 group has sort of taken on this fun-loving, nostalgic feel in the hearts of fans. But considering the three of you, Heath Slater, Jinder Mahal, and yourself, in the past year and a half, two years, really have have doubled down uh, in terms of adding to your legacy and putting that in the rear view, gender becoming WWE champion. He's Slater having that underdog run with Rhino to the tag belts. Do you think you guys have almost rewritten the legacy of 3MB with what you've done of late separate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, 3MB was what it was. I think people looking back now see it for bigger than what it was, which is pretty funny the way people talk about it. I think as more time passes and this nostalgia kicks in and the kids that were younger then are getting older, they, they see us with not quite a shield, but a lot bigger than we certainly were. So that's pretty funny and cool. Um, but yeah, to see Heath achieve the tag team success um, was like phenomenal. I know how hard he works. He's so entertaining. Like he'll always be around WWE because he'd just do it all. He was the enemy, uh, truthfully. He's the funny over the top uh, guy that just wants to have a good time. But to watch somebody like Jinder, and I was like, very proud of him because people will say, you know, Drew, you're getting these opportunities aside the way you look. You would achieve all these things outside the company and they brought you back on fire. They're the ones that asked you. Hey, that's why you uh, did all these things. And I'm not getting my opportunities. There's people in the company I'm talking about. And I say, oh, shit, I'm sorry. I don't know if I can swear. So beat me. Um, but I would say, look at Jinder Mahal. He's somebody that was brought back just to fill a space. because We're doing a roster split for Raw and SmackDown. He was just another body if he was being on television before. He wasn't in great shape, and he started to change his body. He started working hard in the gym, started studying, you know, dying, etc. Came back, and he worked his butt off. He made his opportunity. He knew this is my time. I'm getting one more chance at this. And he worked his ass off. He worked his ass off. Finally, he got incredible shape, and the opportunity came. But people can say it was the India thing or whatever, but I assure you, if there was anything to do with India going on, Vince Mann wouldn't have taken him the way he used to look. He made himself undeniable. He got better in the ring, better on the night, and he became the world champion. And he made that happen. Anybody in the roster can do it, too. This is inspiring stuff. I love this. Drew McIntyre, one of the best heels in pro wrestling today, but this is a baby for baby face story on the come up, brother, to turn it around to get back to this point. And you haven't even scratched, like you mentioned, on what is to come. We will see you at SummerSlam Toronto, Sunday, August 11th, 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. Drew, keep crushing it, brother. Great talking to you. I appreciate you having me. And speaking of which, you know, I'm a bit of a psycho in the ring, but outside the ring, you can tell 
I just like to talk about wrestling. If you want to talk about wrestling with me, I'll be at the Ultimate Fan Experience at SummerSlam weekend, Friday at 5 p.m. So come along and say hi. We'll chat a little more about wrestling, everybody. Don't miss it. Thanks so much, Drew. Thank you, brother. And we're back. Special thanks to Drew McIntyre. First time for us, Adam, to really chop it up with him or, or me doing that solo with him. Um, sounds like a really good guy. I mean, like I said at the end of that, that's a guy who's one of the top heels in the game who's living the real babyface life outside of it. True. I think we combined, you and I, want more for him. Like, I think that's fair to say. We want this guy featured more. His rejuvenation, his rehabilitation in his second run with WWE is legitimately impressive. He looks the part, he sounds the part, and he wrestles the part. So get this guy in a feud where he's a top-level heel in the main event, whether that's a challenger for a title, whether that's as champion on one of these brands, it's really time to you know put some horses behind this guy the same way they have in the past a Sheamus. Yeah. You know, there's no reason he can't be the new Sheamus in terms of a B-level champion who, you know, holds the title for an extended period of time and a face gets over on them big. I think he's fit for that role. You know, and, and like Jinder, you love to see these good stories of guys kind of maturing and figuring it out and getting the second chance and coming back. And, you know, he's obviously so humble talking about why he failed the first time around and why he's different now. And good God, he's so ripped. You know, Vince loves rewarding people that are ripped. But you're right. Give us something that we that we that we need that we want. Give me what I want. Yeah, give, give it give it to us. Um, the only other thing I want to say about that interview is, did you, what's your take on his political answer about why he didn't go over Roman? I thought he handled that politically well, but he he was still lying through his teeth. Yes, uh, that is the exact thought I had. He he seems to not take himself or the business too seriously, and I think it was interesting that he multiple times referred to. Hey, you guys may think I'm in my 40s. I'm actually only 34. I've been in this business for like 12 years, wrestled the fir- or for 20 plus years, wrestled the first time when I was 15, uh, started in WWE when I was like 22 or whatever he said. So he's right. Like I think of this guy as like a veteran and he is, but I think of him like AJ Styles veteran when he's really closer to Ricochet's age. Yeah, true. Um, it's weird. We interview a lot of guys and and, and I love when they give us – their take on things. And it's not like I have less respect for someone like a Seamus who outright tells us, look, man, you can mark out all you want about that time I cashed in on Roman and we had the Seamus 515 shirt. But like, like you told me in that funny SummerSlam interview a couple years ago, that's like Monday of my week, right? You know, like I do that 50 times a year in, in, uh, in, you know, for the last whatever amount of years. And it's like, I get that because to them, I mean, it's a grind. It's a, it's a hamster wheel. It's over and over. They've had a, someone like Sheamus, Grand Slam champions, had a million moments. So I get it. But at the same time, we're marks. Kevin Owens might not like it, but we're friggin' marks. We're adult males on the verge of being washed who still care about this and argue about this. So I kind of want my my guys living that dream on the screen to live and die with the ups and downs of the business with us. I know that's not realistic for, for mental health sake because it's a job and they realize it's a business inside of that job and you can't be over every single week. You can't be the champion, you know, every single day of every single year. But I don't know, man. Sometimes I love it when a guy knows he should be used better and he's like openly frustrated about that. Kevin Owens, who was supposed to be on the podcast this week, but that is a, another story altogether. 
I agree to some respect. I like guys that get upset and push for better and push for more. Adolph Ziggler, uh, uh, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, who apparently was pushing really hard backstage not to be the joke that his character became. Um, Daniel Bryan is another really good example of that. But just because he's not sharing that with us uh, while he's at home relaxing doing this phone interview doesn't mean that's <laughs> not true. And let's also not forget despite us really liking Drew and wanting them to put him over strong, this is a guy who joined NXT, was made champion, got hurt, finally debuted on the main roster, and he may not be at the level we want him, but he has been involved in some pretty legitimate feuds, and even though they've had him lose here and there, he's not being treated poorly in storyline and in booking. So I think we want more for him, but that does not mean that what we've got from him has been bad so far. It's weird. It's like somebody gets hot. So it's not like Drew McIntyre is a new girlfriend in our life, so to speak, in terms of wrestling fandom. He's not new. We've known him forever. But he's hot right now. So now that he's hot, and as fans, we're kind of dating him, we we want the consummation station. We want the train to stop at the uh, on the lane across the tracks. You know, what I, you know where I'm going with this, Adam? We want that right now. We want the title on him. We want a bang. And sometimes I get it. you got to be a little bit more patient. But, again, not knocking those guys who look at it as – we're putting smiles on kids' faces. We're cashing checks. Who cares if I'm the champion? But if I'm in that role, I'm marking out, and I'm believing that I should be wearing that gold every day of the year. All right? That's me. That's me talking, okay? Hansel, so hot right now, yet somehow not on the 2019 SummerSlam card. Yeah. Speaking of hot, would, would, would risk it all for Liv Morgan. You, you got to stop. You, you got to stop. All right. So, uh, you want to talk SummerSlam now? Can we get into also, that enough? Also not on the SummerSlam card, Liv Morgan. <laughs> uh, that is true. Yeah, that we can talk true. SummerSlam, of course. Unless Let's you want to do the rest of the show about EO Shirai's leather pants, because I can go down that road with <laughs> 45 you. 45 minutes on it, man. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, let's throw to it. As you guys know, ahead of these big ones, we're trying to give you a little bit more, a little bit more bonus, a little bit of a chance to see our mugs do what we do on the video. So, of course, what's coming at you right now is going to be available on YouTube, so check out our video SummerSlam preview, which you will hear right now. Enjoy. For the 32nd time in WWE history, the biggest feuds of the summer will come to a head in the second biggest pay-per-view of the year this Sunday in Toronto when SummerSlam 2019 invades, and this is the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports, ready to get you all kinds of fired up. The Brian Campbell, the face you see at the moment, from Stanford, Connecticut, a city that knows a few things about pro wrestling. And with me is my co-host, the Silver King himself, Adam Silverstein. Adam, you ready for this biggest party of the summer? You fired up here, bro? Brian, yes, I am. Although, let's be honest, I don't know that WWE has given us much reason to be fired up, despite the fact that this does look like a card that might deliver on Sunday. You could call it rose-colored glasses, Silver King. You can call it a finely knitted rose-covered shirt. But I got optimism. I know you've heard this before ahead of a big pay-per-view, but it's a unique situation where we stand right now, August, the year of our Lord, 2019, as the great Nick Costos would say. WWE in a transitional period. We know SmackDown moving to, to, to Fox, national television in October. We know AEW is launching. So if there's ever any kind of pressure to put on a big show and really make SummerSlam matter, it's certainly this one this Sunday, fired up to break it down. And if you are listening 
to this podcast, the audio version of the State of Combat. We do remind you to check out this here video preview on YouTube. Check out my mug. Check out the Silver King. Hey, Adam, I don't have anything else to say, anything else to sell. I'm ready to break this card down. This is the big stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We do have a 10-match card. It looks like 11. One's not completely officially announced just yet. And knowing WWE, we'll probably get one or two added between now and Sunday when the show actually does go down from Toronto, BC. But let's get it started. We see the featured matchups on this card. Brock Lesnar against Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship. You have Kofi Kingston defending his WWE Championship against Randy Orton. And of course, Charlotte Flair and Trish Stratus in a match that you could have told me this would main event WrestleMania one day, and I'd believe you the greatest current women's wrestler in WWE against the greatest former Hall of Famer uh, women's wrestler in WWE in Trish Stratus, BC. But let's start, let's break this card down, and let's get it going with this cruiserweight championship match between Drew Gulak and Oni Lorcan. Oni Lorcan just got the number one contendership on 205 Live Tuesday, just a few days out from SummerSlam. And BC, the question's the easy one for you. Are you excited about this at all? Yeah, from a high work rate standpoint. Look, this is what the Cruiserweight division does for us when they show up on these pay-per-view cards. They deliver a kickoff show match. You have to see usually 12, 13 minutes of great in-ring work. Look, only working, he may be Bizarro Cesaro, as I think one of our listeners dubbed him at one point. But the guy can work. We've seen him in NXT and he might be the perfect sort of foil for the style that Drew Gulak brings in there. Lorcan can do the high-flying stuff just as well as he can do the stiff sort of striking and operation here. But this is Drew Gulak's match to win from a storyline standpoint, from a momentum standpoint. The guy's really doing great work on the microphone and presenting himself as a true sort of unique superstar. I like the idea of this match. I like the way I'm going to feel when I see this match. But I don't need to see anything more than a solid, hard, stiff, well-worked, 12, 13-minute affair. Yeah, you nailed it. And it is a two-hour kickoff show, so it does make sense to put a match like this on there that may go 10, 12, 15 minutes. But look, Oni Lorcan, despite him being a good hand, doesn't really do much for me in terms of being a contender, especially at SummerSlam. So this, to me, just speaks to a match that Drew Gulak gets to win, gets to retain his title. There's not really a huge challenge there from his challenger. Uh, But look, the Cruiserweight division, I think we know the 205 Live show has been depleted with the names Cedric Alexander, Ali, Buddy Murphy that have been brought up to the main roster, and they haven't really replaced them, and bringing Oni Lork in there doesn't really do it for me. Don't forget, Brian, they just recently had Chad Gable wrestle a couple matches on the show. This would have been an incredible opportunity for Gulak versus Gable on SummerSlam. You could have given Gulak the t- uh, Gable excuse me, the title, had him make a run with it, and brought some attention to this 205 Live show. For me personally, this just does not... Do it. But you know what does? And I have a feeling you may disagree with me on it, BC. The next match, Goldberg versus Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler was dropping hints for weeks, insulting Goldberg for his appearance at Super Showdown against The Undertaker out there in uh, you know Saudi Arabia. We don't like to talk about that too much. Um, now, all of a sudden, <laughs> we have Goldberg in a match at SummerSlam. What do you think is going to happen here? And honestly, do you even want to see this match? What do I think is going to happen? What happens in a Goldberg pay-per-view match? It's like a four-minute squash. We know what's going to happen right here. The question is, should it be happening? Should we care? Should we be excited about this? My question, my answer to any question you have is going to be no. Um, I did it. I had a nice first-class flight a few weeks ago, Adam. Can I put myself over here for a second? 
had one of those lay down sort of bed chairs that you get there. I had the, you know, top shelf gourmet food. I, you know, got my own sheets and a robe. Damon Wayans, the actor, was sitting behind me randomly enough, disguised nicely with the hat and the hood and the glasses. Uh, I could really channel my inner Damon Wayans and go old school uh, in living color and tell you, hated it. Hated the build for this. Hate the idea for it. Two snaps down, brother. All right. If you are a Goldberg mark and you are popping for this, that's fine. It seemed like there were plenty of Goldberg marks in that arena on Monday Night Raw when this came together with the Miz TV segment. My question is, why does this make sense at all? They haven't gone the lengths to establish Dolph Ziggler's character as a true legend hater like they did for Chris Jericho ahead of WrestleMania 25. This has been rushed like a lot of this SmackDown build has. Again, I mentioned off the top of the show, unique circumstances right now. They brought in Paul Heyman. They brought in Eric Bischoff to, to sort of appease to any worried stockholders that creative was going in the wrong direction ahead of such a big Fox launch coming for SmackDown. So there's certainly pressure on this show to deliver. I'm not against the idea of grabbing Goldberg, who's still in great shape, and saying, hey, help us. Go out there. Help us bring back some casuals. It just doesn't make sense right now. It doesn't make sense for Dolph Ziggler here. And to use the tease of Shawn Michaels in recent weeks, to use him <laughs> in this segment, it's it, it sucks. Am I a Shawn Michaels mark? Yes. He showed us in Saudi he's still got it. We've been waiting dec- more than a decade to find out if he's still got it. Well, he's still got it. Him and Dolph Ziggler, storyline-wise, the fact that Dolph Ziggler is more of a poor man's Shawn Michaels, historically, if we're being truly honest. They addressed that in the build here. They didn't give us the payoff. To have the Miz, character-wise, go to the lengths of tricking Dolph by doctoring the contract and putting Goldberg's name down. So what are we set up for here, Adam? We're set up for Goldberg to run in and do what he does. Spear, jackhammer, three, four minutes. You're out of here. He gets the big pop. I'm sorry, Goldberg. You already had your your victory tour. It was fantastic. You came back and won the championship against Kevin Owens. You did the big business against Brock Lesnar. Your son and wife were so happy. They'd never seen your work before. They were there. We love it. Your in-laws were there in Denver. I've seen it before. Bill, I've seen it. And now you're going to have to sacrifice Dolph Ziggler to this? If it had been a more hated heel in this spot, a Baron Corbin, whose job it is to get people mad and then take the L, do the business, maybe I'd be a little bit more excited. But Adam, give me any reason to believe that I should care about this, that I'll feel anything but bad for Dolph Ziggler when it's all said and done. Well, I can't give you a reason to care. One reason I'll tell you it might be decent is the fact that coming out of that Super Showdown match, that was truly embarrassing for Goldberg Truly embarrassing for The Undertaker. It seems that WWE is giving them both an opportunity to make amends, and not just make amends, but leave on a high note, at least in terms of their careers. And I'm sure Undertaker will be back. I don't know about Goldberg, but Taker got that match with Roman Reigns, the tag team match. He looked great. He looked like he could go another three or four years. And Goldberg coming out of that match with Taker is getting someone in Dolph Ziggler who he can beat up. Dolph's been beaten down so many times in his WWE career when otherwise we'd think he's getting a major push. That losing to Goldberg doesn't hurt him from a character standpoint because he really can't get stomped on anymore. But you actually made a great point. Yeah, Baron, but it may hurt him from a real-life standpoint. He may get his neck broken. Well, Is Goldberg right. trustworthy <laughs> in the ring and our Lord of the year of our Lord right now? Come on, Adam. I, I don't know, but you can believe what he says, which is that he was concussed at Super Showdown. And if you want to give him that benefit of the doubt, I think Dolph will be okay, especially if it's only a two- or three- or four-minute match here. 
get him in, get him out, let's move on. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't mind seeing Goldberg. What I do mind is a two-week build to a match we really don't need on the second biggest show of the year. So I think the entire SummerSlam build has been rushed. It's something I said earlier in our actual audio show, which, by the way, you can download wherever you do get fine podcast, audio, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, everywhere. Um, the whole build was rushed, and this match itself is emblematic of the entire thing, BC. But we're going to move on. I just don't, don't tease me. No, I'm, you're not going to move. You're going to stay I right I want to move on. Don't I want to get the show going, I want to tease me with what I man. want. <laughs> don't tease me with what I need. Don't have me believe I'm going to get Buddy Murphy in a Roman Reigns feud. Don't have me believe Shawn Michaels is coming back. You want to write a feud that would make sense for Goldberg? What is every question he got asked during his comeback to the Hall of Fame and comeback to WrestleMania? Who does the spear these days as good as yours? He took that personally. He doesn't like Edge's spear or Rhino's gore or Roman Reigns' spear. Is it that hard to do a Roman Reigns, Goldberg, passing of the torch, shake hands, do the business? Your spear's pretty damn good, Roman. Let's move it forward. No, now we got to sell Dolph Ziggler's soul to him. Not cool. All right, I take this seriously. Keep it moving. <laughs> the biggest sin overall is that they teased Ziggler-Michaels, which is the match we have always wanted, and didn't pay it off, and instead gave us a match we've never thought about once in our entire lives until maybe two weeks ago, BC. But a match I am excited about is the Fiend. Bray Wyatt against Finn Balor. Not the demon Finn Balor, just Finn Balor. We do know that Balor has requested a little bit of time off from WWE. We're expecting this to be a short, temporary swan song for him. But I think the work that The Fiend has done on WWE TV recently, the on Raw especially, allowing him to go over Mick Foley and Kurt Angle with the Mandible Claw, the thematic work they're doing with the lights and the music. This has been an absolute home run from the first vignette all the way up until the build for this match. And I see no reason, BC, why The Fiend will not be going over here. But tell me, how do you see this playing out? You know, it's apropos that the first legend he took out with that with that mandible claw using Mick Foley's move was Mick Foley himself, who really kind of was ahead of the game in the idea of doing multiple personalities, multiple characters at the same time. Bray Wyatt's doing that right now with two different ones, with the reformed Bray, with the fun house, and obviously the fiend. And pro wrestling is so subjective, Adam. We know this. There's always something to complain about because you can't please everyone. Things that people think are great, other people hate. Everyone knows what they're watching right now with this Bray Wyatt fiend turn perfection every single week. There's almost nothing to critique, even for you, the guy who applies the black lining to the silver cloud there. There's nothing not to like here. So how do they continue to make magic? Let this be as short and violent as possible. In fact, don't even have a match. Let the fiend show up. Let him mess with Bray with Finn Balor's head and let him absolutely destroy him. You threw in that little bit of uh, inside baseball dirt sheet there that Finn could be going away for a while. The best way to send him away is to destroy him. Absolutely. And as it's, you see on the graphic right there, last match in tw August 2018, that is one calendar year for Bray Wyatt. He's been back a couple months. He's been cleared for a couple months as well. Just hasn't actually wrestled. And of course, Finn Balor was just recently the Intercontinental Champion. A very unremarkable reign, mostly due to WWE's booking. This is a great opportunity, in my opinion, to set up long-term The Fiend versus The Demon at a future pay-per-view. I hope that is it's the Royal Adam, Rumble in January. Adam, let me ask you this. Let me, let me interrupt you and ask you this. You know my dislike for where we're going with Goldberg right now. 
They had an established Dolph as a legend killer. You know who's a legend killer right now? The Fiend. Does The Fiend show up in this Goldberg-Ziggler match? We don't even get a Goldberg-Ziggler match. We just get another opportunity to put over The Fiend as a guy who appears out of nowhere, puts his hand inside a legend's mouth, reaches a little <laughs> bit deep, and takes out a bit of their soul. I mean, I'd love I'm down to, for that. Sign I'd, me up. I'd love to be there with you on that, BC, but I think they're giving Goldberg a moment in the sun to make up for what happened at that Super Showdown. I think it's just, hey, Goldberg, get one back. Go out on top. We're going to put you in one of the first matches on the card, and then you can kind of move on. I hope that's what it is. But if they go with The Fiend, BC, that's even better booking. But as you know, if you listen to our show, our booking ideas, they tend not to listen to all of them, and even though they probably should. Uh, Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon, BC, is up next. Owens' career is basically on the line here. The stipulation in the match is that Owens will quit if he loses to Shane McMahon. We just had this match, I think, a year or two years ago. Obviously, the roles were reversed. Shane McMahon was the face. Kevin Owens was the heel. Now it's been flipped. We also have Owens doing this pseudo Stone Cold Steve Austin slash CM Punk, but maybe not as good as either of them persona. What do you think of KO these days, and how do you see this match playing out? Yeah, this has been a weird build. There's been elements of this build that have been great. Elements of KO's new turn into that Austin hybrid role that you mentioned that have been fantastic. There's also been weeks that they completely mailed it in with no development of storyline. We've seen a lot of this before. Heck, we've even seen Shane McMahon in a match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania that I thought his career was on the line. And then he lost. And then he came back next week and his dad said, oh, the fans seem to like him. It's good for business, so he's going to stay on the roster. So I really don't have any belief that this is it for Kevin Owens either way. It's interesting here. I'll tell you one thing Shane McMahon does do very well, Adam. Show up at big pay-per-views when we are maybe not feeling the idea of his match. Take me back, please, to Orlando. Shane McMahon and AJ Styles kicking off WrestleMania. What did we say? Wow. You're only getting AJ Styles for a short window here, WWE. Why are you wasting a WrestleMania match on Shane O'Mac? I don't know what's gotten into Shane O'Mac. I don't know what supplements he's taking. I don't know what he's drinking. But I'll have what he's happening having because he turns it up to another notch when it matters. I'm hoping this match does that. Surprises us a little bit. Has a wrinkle we're not seeing coming for storyline purposes. Because like him or not, complain or not that he's getting too much TV time, Shane McMahon works in this heel role right now. Would love to see that faction that he's pseudo part of really evolve and bloom and become a four horsemen 2.0 for the future. Call it what you want. Have as many people in it that you want. But there is a role for Shane. So I'm interested in what they have for me. If they have nothing for me storyline wise, and this is just a match that KO wins and goes over. It's a filler. It really is. That's the thing. You can criticize Shane for being on, both shows every week for a couple of months they've rectified that you can criticize shane for sweating all the time like patrick ewing at a foul taking a foul shot they kind of <laughs> rectify that because they don't have him do that much action anymore but what you can't criticize shane mcmahon for is the way he shows up at pay-per-views and i'm gonna i'm just gonna co-sign what you said you tell me that shane mcmahon's on a match tuesday night on smackdown it's a shrug it's a womp womp for me right but you tell me he's at a pay-per-view match and he's having it against one of the best wrestlers in the company male or female and kevin owens and I'm excited for it because we've seen it. We know what they can do. We see, we've seen what Shane can do against an AJ Styles, against a Roman Reigns, some of these other guys. It is truly legitimately entertaining. And he takes risks that someone with his experience level and his age really should not be taking these days. Now, there's no stipulation to this match in terms of it being extreme rules or a tables match or, or anything like that. 
But I think we know what we're going to see. We're going to see an attempted elbow drop from the top rope outside to a table. Maybe we'll see a Van Terminator uh, in the ring. We'll see some very exciting moves from Shane. Ultimately, BC, I think you have to have Kevin Owens go over here. Not that you can't get away from the I quit stipulation. You can have him quit and come back on a different show, go over to NXT, you know, join Undisputed Era. There's a million things you can do with KO. I think ultimately, though, you need to write off the Shane McMahon character at least from an in-ring role, and this gives them the opportunity to do that. I'm with you. All right. Next match, we have the United States Championship. AJ Styles, the champion, defending against Ricochet. We've seen this match and different versions of this match a couple times, BC, and I think it's fair to say they have delivered every single time. Now we have AJ Styles reforming the club, which is now called the OC in WWE, and I think they're hitting some really big high notes too. How do you see this match playing out? And ultimately, do you think AJ Styles retains the title here or do they go back to Ricochet? You know, I see this match stealing the show and it should be in that conversation. It should be the one you circle anytime these two are getting together on the pay-per-view level. They've made magic, rightfully so, both incredible athletes. And you have to imagine the great experience that AJ Styles is handing off to Ricochet through this program. Ricochet has really sort of made some leaps and bounds to become a very credible mid-card title contender, title holder. I think he wins this. I think he should win this. One thing SummerSlam has been about historically are those babyface pops, are those moments. I mean, you can argue WrestleMania is too. Those are your two really tentpole pillar cards on the year for a reason. You want to send the fans home happy. I love what the OC, the club, the Bullet Club, the Gallows and Anderson, the call them what you want. Call Gallows with his, with his warlord pay, face paint <laughs> back from Japan. Call me fired up, but call me expecting a four and a half star match here. I'm not against putting the belt back on Ricochet and see what happens here because he's got it. He's got it all. And I think the more that they let him evolve on the microphone, more in tune with what his real personality is, there's no telling how far he can go. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that AJ Styles, especially now in the reformed OC with Gallows and Anderson being the Raw Tag Team Champions, he really doesn't need the United States title. In fact, he really should be a heel going for the World Championship against a Seth Rollins or a face champion on that Raw brand. So this is a really good opportunity to put the title back on Ricochet, make him a two-time champion. And you're right, BC. There's a lot of good matches on this card. This has the opportunity to be a great match, a show stealer. We've already seen it once in terms of them getting an extended period of time to go face-to-face on a pay-per-view. Let's run this back. You know, I want to see Ricochet truly go over in a major way, somewhat clean, even if he has to go up against some interference from the Good Brothers, that's okay too. Let's get Ricochet the title back. Let's get a face as the U.S. champion. And let's move AJ Styles, more importantly maybe than even that, back into the main event of Raw because his talent, his charisma, his ability is sorely needed at that level on the red brand, BC. Okay, coming up next, we have another similarly entertaining match. We teased it earlier in the show. Charlotte Flair against Trish Stratus. Now, this match did come a little bit out of nowhere. For me, I'm excited to see it. It's a match that's been talked about for years. But the question I have for you is, do you feel that the booking of this match, it's very rare we get a women's singles match in a non-title situation on a pay-per-view, particularly a major pay-per-view. Does this match overshadow the two women's matches we're going to talk about a little bit later on this card? 
Yeah, certainly it does. And, and I mean, the star power combined at this point blows the other two away, especially since we've sort of critiqued the B-sides of the other two uh, title bouts in terms of whether it was the right choice now, considering who was out there to play with. But look, let's focus on this match. I've established that it's not necessarily for me. Not a big trish mark. That's fine, though. I do love what this the idea of this is. It's a passing of the torch. It's a... I'm Trish. I'm 43. I still got it. I got back in shape for the Women's Rumble last year. I've been lingering. I want to do this. I want to do this in Toronto, in my home, in front of my Canucks. I want to do this. Charlotte's the right one. Charlotte is the one that they rightfully are grooming to be the greatest of all time. The one that they're not going to allow her data or John Cena to crack that 16 world title mark that they're tied with. And they're letting her slowly add those reins so she gets closer. She's the one. So this makes a ton of sense. Have I loved the build? That's the question. We're already putting it under the banner of a quick turn here, unique circumstances. I'll give them that pass. A couple weeks ago when they put it together, I love the intensity the two showed. This past week on the go home on SmackDown, however, this was cringe city, Adam. I mean, I love the little jab. Hey, I saw your minivan parked outside. (laughs) I just don't think Trish has the chops for 2019 to compete with these other women who who are good talkers on the microphone. The real question, though, is does she have the 2019 chops to compete in the ring? Because this is a new generation. She may have been a trailblazer that sort of set the stage for real wrestling on the women's side, but she's going to have to step up and show it. Obviously, Charlotte seems to be the best choice for that. I think it'll it'll be good. It'll be a good piece of business. I'm not expecting anything more. It'll be great, I think. I think it's exciting to finally have this matchup that we've been waiting so long to see. But you kind of nailed it at the end, Brian. The top third of WWE's women's roster, is they're all better than Trish Stratus ever was. We're talking about mic work, in-ring work, ability to tell stories. And that's not to say that Trish wasn't great. She was. She was a trailblazer for her time. And without her, maybe we don't get to this women's, not to use the buzzword that WWE wants us to, but evolution or revolution of the women's division that we've seen in the last year. But the truth is when you do get into this match and you're thinking about, you know, Trisha's age and the fact that she hasn't wrestled in a long time, it doesn't from a kayfabe standpoint, really tell me that she has any chance to beat Charlotte. And she certainly hasn't come across on the mic as any type of badass that is coming out of retirement and just going to absolutely end the greatest women's wrestler in WWE right now. So while, while we have Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton, not even on TV the last couple of weeks, and them running these incredible video promos to get us excited for this match. They have these women on back-to-back weeks and haven't really done any storytelling despite the clips they aired on SmackDown. I would have much rather this had been built through video packages telling us how great Trish was, how great Charlotte was, build it up over a couple weeks, and then give us the match. Instead, yeah, these these promos that they had in the ring face-to-face, and we know it's not always great face-to-face, nothing face-to-face, they didn't really sell the match for me. And for that reason, I think I was disappointed. Well, how about that? We know that this match is emanating from Toronto. We know that Charlotte and Trish, if you will, are kind of the female version historically of Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Hulk Hogan. The best case thing they can do here is give us that WrestleMania 18 booking, brother. Have this be that women's Rock Hogan match. Give us similar kind of booking where... Where Charlotte's the heel, but she's getting some cheers. Trish is going to have a lot of big moments, and you think she might go over. But in the end, you got to do the business with the younger person and pass that torch. I think ultimately the key, we're going to leave this match stratified. See what I did there? Okay. 
Next up, uh, Rome. And I'm sorry, it was corny, but that's the kind of point. Uh, uh, Roman Roman Reigns does not have an official match on this card. Don't undersell that. That's not fair, BC. He doesn't have a match on this card just yet, but we expect him to. Why? Because the last couple weeks on Raw and SmackDown as well, Reigns has been dealing with this mystery attacker. First, you know, basically trying to bulldoze him over with some stage gear. He was okay. Then a hit and run Monday night on Raw. They were trying to tease us that it's Samoa Joe. No, they had uh, pictures that were leaked online showing that, hey, maybe it's Buddy Murphy. It's not Buddy Murphy either. End of SmackDown on Tuesday, they come out and tell us it's Rowan. And how do they tell us they have Buddy Murphy basically squeak it while being submitted by Reigns backstage in a locker room area? Now, what you may not know, BC, is they came out on social media, cut a promo with Brian and Rowan with Brian saying, hey, of course Buddy Murphy's going to come out and scream that it's Rowan. He could have picked anyone's name. The guy was getting submitted by Roman Reigns, one of the baddest men in WWE. And Brian cut a great promo that only leads us, BC, to this conclusion. Roman Reigns against Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam. Is that where you think this match is going? I do. Obviously, I had had the graphic guy go ahead and make it up for us. And if so, are you excited to see it, despite the build maybe being a little bit lackluster? Yeah, look at this graphic guy trying to uh, jump in here and book the damn territory here. Um, I'll tell you what that interview with Brian, which I did get a chance to hear, gave me. Give me a little bit of hope. You're telling me there's a chance, Adam, that it still could be Buddy Murphy? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's obviously not Buddy Murphy. It should be Buddy Murphy. He's, a, he's the American Kenny Omega, even though he's not American. He's a star waiting to bust <laughs> out. All right, enough of that. Um, so here's the deal with this. This card is already pretty damn loaded, right? We agree with that. I don't know if you need the, a match right here. You do need a sort of recurring presence and storyline, similar to what we see on Raw when you have a one of those bookending storylines that opens the show, they cut to it backstage a few times, and then it sort of has a big reveal late. Maybe that's what this is, and maybe this is about announcing that this feud is beginning. Because if we're being honest, Adam, Roman Reigns against heel Daniel Bryan is big business. And if this card's so loaded that they didn't need to start this early, or maybe with the recent creative changes, they didn't come up with the idea for this until recently, then I don't know if you need to rush out a match right here. You need a backstage segment. You need some kind of reveal, in-ring thing, promos, whatever. But this could and should be a feud that maybe takes us all the way through Royal Rumble. I mean, I got to see this three times on the pay-per-view level if we're going to do this. So maybe we don't end up with a match, but we certainly really start to, to, to beat that drum and get it going. That's a really good point. They could almost give us another attack while Roman's walking backstage, and maybe Roman dodges it this time, chases the guy, and it turns out to be Daniel Bryan. They brawl backstage and really almost give us a match, like five, six minutes in the backstage area throughout the crowd out in Toronto somewhere and start building something that maybe takes us into Survivor Series or the next pay-per-view or, or really wherever they want to go with it. So that is a really good option for this. If they ultimately have the match, I always get concerned, BC, because you know what I want. I want Roman Reigns to, at some point, lose and lose a couple times in a row and have Daniel Bryan go over and, and make Ro uh, Roman Reigns fight from the bottom and build himself back into the babyface that WWE and Vince McMahon so desperately want him to be. And I think, ultimately, this feud gives him that opportunity my concern would be him never getting that opportunity to start at the bottom, to have Daniel Bryan beat him clean in a match. And if that doesn't happen here, that's okay. 
I just want to see this feud kickstarted in a major way. And I don't want them to have done basically two weeks of build for a throwaway SummerSlam match. And then they suddenly move on from it afterwards. So I thought your analysis. Oh, I hear you. And what I don't, what what I don't need is a throwaway Roman and Rowan match, which I oh, kind of yeah. feel like we could end up get in this place. But here's one thing you got to think of. What is it? October 4th, Friday night, SmackDown, Fox, primetime television. Big deal, right? You do need two giant stars in the early portion of a feud. to Because look, WWE's got one chance. And I do mean this. That night, they got one chance for all those lapsed fans, all those people that used to watch. People that used to watch back when the only time it was on TV of that level was Saturday night's main event four times a year on NBC. People that are going to tune into Fox and go, all right, let's see where wrestling is in 2019. I haven't watched in a while. Maybe I only watch WrestleMania and that's it each year. And if you're tuning into Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan as a heel feuding, you could do worse. So I kind of feel excited about that being a showcase possibility. I actually don't hate the idea of, of Roman Reigns having a match with Rowan and beating the hell out of him in five minutes. And then Daniel Bryan almost pulling off the mask like Vince McMahon once did. It was me, Roman. It was me all along. I wouldn't mind that being how they develop it. That way you do get Roman Reigns in front of the crowd. You do get Daniel Bryan the ability to go over Roman. Maybe he attacks him with a chair or an object or something like that. I do think there is a good way to have a Roman match, not have it be Bryan, and still continue the feud. So let's see if they go that direction. Now we have four title matches that are going to close the show in some order. And we're going to start with what I consider the bottom. And I know you do too. The SmackDown women's championship, Bailey defending against Ember moon, who was kind of thrown in as a number one contender in this rushed build that I'm talking about so much BC. You're not the biggest Bailey fan. You're not the biggest Ember moon fan. So what do you actually want to see happen in this match? I got two options from WWE here to keep me quiet and happy. You ready? Option number one, give me four hot minutes and get out of here. <laughs> Option number two, this is when we see the boss. Sasha Banks returns. You and I had nauseam as sort of started to book that. Does she come out to rescue Bailey? And then we, we slowly build to a female version of the mega powers exploding and finally get <clears throat> the rehash of their great NXT feud, but on the main roster. Or does Sasha come in and turn heel on Bailey? Either way, Summer slams the platform for this. We know that. It would work. We saw Charlotte and, and Becky Lynch have sort of a big moment last year, even though SummerSlam 2018 did not deliver to the level that the dirty bedsheets were expecting. More on that every week on the State of Combat podcast. <laughs> but Adam, I don't think they have the plans for Moon. I don't think they trust Moon in this spot to become the champion. I think they said to themselves, look, this is about Sasha and Bailey. So we sort of need a, a goat, not the greatest of all time, a goat. Think of Survivor, CBS, when they go to the final three. You got to bring a goat in there. Someone you know is not going to win. Ember Moon's your goat right here. It's all about ba- the, the boss and the damn hug. There you go. It's yours. I think you got some good booking, but the wrong match. So we'll get to that in a moment. This is what I want. I don't want four hot minutes here. I actually want 20 hot minutes of Bailey and Ember Moon. Oh, get out of here. And it's not that I love Bailey, and it's not that I love Ember Moon as performers, but Brian, we have seen both of them in NXT put on absolute show stealers. We've seen Bailey do it with Sasha Banks, and we've seen Ember Moon do it with Asuka. These women can wrestle. So you know what? 
there's not a lot of storyline here. It's not very exciting. Give us a high work rate match. Give us something, you know, that, that meat that you like to talk about that you want to sink your teeth into? Give us something that we can sink our teeth into here. And if it ends in a schmoz type of finish and Sasha Banks does interfere, that's okay. But make the match matter. Don't give us a six, seven minute women's match that tells me, hey, not only did we not know how to book this match, but we didn't even know how to call the match. We didn't even know how to develop it and give you something on the pay-per-view that is worth talking about. Give me a match that's worth talking about. Look at the stones on Silver King here. Look at the grapefruits on this guy. We're talking about SummerSlam not going into another six, seven hour affair, even though there's 57 matches on it. This guy wants Bailey and Ember Moon to give us 20 minutes. I do. Get out of here, Adam. I do. No. I do want that BC. And you know what? A lot of these SummerSlam WrestleMania cards, we're talking 14, 15, 16 matches. As I said at the opening of the show, there's 10 announced matches. Something with Roman would be 11. So it is for SummerSlam, not for WWE pay-per-views, but for SummerSlam, it is a relatively short card. That said, there's three matches left, and we're going to get to them right now. Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch against Natalia in a submission match. And BC... You'll go through the process here. This is where I do ultimately think that we'll get Sasha Banks. I'll explain why if you give me time in a minute. But this is a submission match. They've been putting over the sharpshooter as the superior finisher to Becky Lynch's disarmor. And I think it's fair to say they took this from a feud that was kind of, I said it earlier, womp, womp, when it first got announced into something that at least I actually want to say. Yeah, uh, Natalia's the MVP I think of this entire SummerSlam season, she took something that you nailed it. We didn't want it. We've seen it. I don't need this in my life. Now I need, I want, I, I want this. Thank you, Natty Neidhart, you weird cat whisperer. You stepped <laughs> up the aggression. You're a psychopath out there. It's sort of the perfect way to bring out a good side of Becky Lynch. And the good thing about Natty is she can work. We know that. So this will be a good match. But they have an opportunity to really do some good stuff from the idea of storytelling and where we go next. You're going to introduce your Sasha theory in a second. I'm going to introduce a theory that came in via DM slide from at TC Casa on Twitter. You know that name, Adam, part of our extended family here. TC dropped a nugget in my head. It's not the most original nugget. I just hadn't thought of it. He said, BC, we're in Canada, right? This is a member of the hearts, right? It's a submission match, right? Yeah, you, you nailed it, TC. What do you got for me? He says, <laughs> how about a female version of the Montreal screw job with Becky being the one getting screwed? And then I'm adding now my own wrinkles onto it. It sort of makes Becky against the machine, Becky against the authority, which might be the best way to get the quasi-female Steve Austin sort of gold out of her. Wow, everybody's trying to be Austin lately. Um, Adam, I don't hate that idea. Maybe you add your own little 2019 wrinkles in there, but I wouldn't mind Natty picking up the title in sort of a corporate help situation, sort of getting one back for the Hart family if you really want to tie it in there. Maybe have Brett show up. This could get interesting. <laughs> I think if you do that, though, what you're doing is you're introducing Stephanie McMahon back onto television and... I don't know that the fan base, fan base as a whole wants that, especially while they're clamoring for Shane to get off television. So that would be my issue there. Otherwise, I don't know what authority figure would really hate Becky so much that they would try to pull that. You know, that the thing with that match was you had to get Vince McMahon, the Shawn Michaels Bret Hart match. You had to get Vince McMahon out to the ring somehow. And they were kind of telling that story a little bit. And the screw job obviously happened. Whereas here, 
You're introducing right. a completely Adam, new element. I need to pause you before you hit me with some boss here, okay? Yeah. I need you to stay in the headspace of a female Montreal screw job here. Submission match, which if we're going full screw job, it's Natty putting Becky in her own move, the disarmer, which is right. basically an arm bar. Who does the arm bar really great? Who trained with Natty to become a professional wrestler? It's Ronda Rousey, who's been putting really cringy attempted comedy videos <laughs> on the internet because she's bored while trying to start a family. Ronda Rousey. Do we see, Adam, Ronda show up in a wink, sort of like, hey, I trained. I gave back to Natty. I showed her the ways of the armbar, and she tapped Becky out, whether it's a screw job, whether it's straight up. Do we see Ronda Rousey on Sunday night? See, I would like that. I'm not going to go ahead and predict that we will. She is in this so-called impregnation vacation, apparently. But, Brian, she does seem bored, brother. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, ultimately, if we saw Ronda. I think that would be a nice nod, especially considering, in this storyline, you had Fit Finley trying to train Natty how to get out of the disarmor. Becky beat the hell out of Fit Finley, her countryman there. So this kind of says, well, if you're going to go beat up Fit Finley, I'm going to bring in someone else to help me. So I do like that idea. I do like the idea of Ronda Rousey showing up. As In terms of how I think the match is going to go, what I expect to happen is for Becky Lynch to tap out Natty Neidhart with the sharpshooter. And then if you're going to book the damn territory, which we're known to do here on the State of Combat, my next move is for Sasha Banks to pop out of the crowd, hit Becky with the bank statement, be back to the legit boss heel Sasha Banks, and now you have a ready-made feud for that uh, October, even though they're on Raw, that October changeover in WWE that we're expecting, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks. The other key there, it keeps Sasha on Raw, where we already have plenty of really talented, really good women on SmackDown. Raw needs those names. I want Becky, I want Sasha Banks, and I want that to be the way this match ends. Wow. Ryan? Wow. Uh, give me, give me Sasha Banks as the, as the heel injection there. What, what's the opposite of a heel? Is it a, uh, a, what, a heroine? Is that what it opposite she, of she a She would be a heroine. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Inject, inject that, inject that storyline into my veins. Thank you. Uh, okay. Well, we got two more to go, BC. And we're going to start with a match that I honestly think should legitimately main event the show. It's been built far better than the match that I believe ultimately will main event the show, but that's Kofi Kingston defending his WWE championship against Randy Orton. You already heard me talk about it earlier on our audio portion of this show, BC. You've seen WWE cover the storyline, the long-term storyline between Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston that they've kind of just lucked into here uh, ad nauseum. But man, this is something you know the Silver King is popping for in a major, major way. I've always wanted this story to be told. And now we have Kofi against Randy Orton for the WWE title at WWE's second biggest pay-per-view of the year. Brian, I think Randy Orton is going to win, take the title, and they're going to give us even more of this great storyline. Do you agree with that? And if so, why? Yeah, I do agree with that. I think Randy Orton seems very refueled and, and fresh again. And he, he, I know he turned heel a year ago and we liked some of the things we've seen, but he's flowing again. And this storyline makes a ton of sense with the callbacks to when they did put on that really good program. So why not jump the bell onto Orton and then sort of explore 
some more of Kofi and maybe the, the, the beginning of the end of New Day. I know every week I try to come on the show, Adam, and be You're that a wedge, wedge driver. driver You're that a wedge gets driver. us closer to a New Day triple threat match to main event and in between pay-per-view. One day we'll get there. Uh, I think it's time to put it on Orton, though, and I think it, he wouldn't be a bad guy to have a major title on when you do go, as we talk about, back to primetime network television again. So it will be interesting. Again, every one of these big matches sort of plays into that theme when you're sort of booking. Is this the end of the feud? And if this kicks off a new feud or if this starts a feud, is that a big enough feud for WWE to put their best foot forward? And again, it's not just about the SmackDown launch. It's about real competition coming in the form of AEW the same week, by the way, that SmackDown goes to Fox. So I certainly wouldn't be against here. I do want to mail a little love in the direction of Kofi Kingston. This rain, I know I picked against you every single pay-per-view. It was good. It was really good. It was, it was really good in the ring. He had some good moments. I know you pop for Kofi Silver King. I know that's your flavor. I love, I loved it. This will be something I look back on very fondly, but I think it does end Sunday night. Yeah, it's been one of the best booked reigns in, in WWE for a world champion in quite some time with Kofi Kingston. I think it's great, but you absolutely nailed the booking here. You have Orton go over, win the title from Kofi. You have Kofi go back, not to the bottom, but to the part of the main event picture or mid card where you have to start winning matches, number one contenderships, you get another title opportunity and what you book for the main event of SmackDown on October 4th on Fox is Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. And you have Kofi Kingston win the title on that first SmackDown. I got a little goosebump right there talking about that. That's how you book it. You give me that match. You give me uh, Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan, and you have a massive, awesome SmackDown card to open your new deal October 4th on Fox. I think you have to put the title on Orton here. It is not that Kofi can't continue his reign because he can, but the truth is he's legitimately running out of heel challengers that I want to see him fight. What I want to see is an extended feud with Randy Orton. Honestly, what I want to see is Randy Orton is WWE champion because when he has that title, he's great at it. He's a 14-time champion for a reason. Give him the 15th strap. Maybe have in the future an Orton-Cena thing where Orton's going for, I mean, Cena's going for 17 Orton's going for that 16 to tie. That's a great storyline. Also, we know we don't see John Cena a lot, but that's something I would buy into at a WrestleMania or a Royal Rumble or another big event. I am a huge fan of Kofi Kingston. I'm a huge fan of Kofi Kingston as WWE champion BC, but it is time for this reign to end at the hands of Randall Keith Orton. Okay, our main event, our expected main event for SummerSlam, Brock Lesnar defending his newly won Universal Championship against... Seth Rollins, Lesnar had the Money in the Bank briefcase, cashed it in at Extreme Rules, took the title from Seth Rollins after his gruesome main event alongside Becky Lynch against Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans there. Brian, I gotta be honest, the build to this match hasn't done anything for me. I think the Lesnar attack on Rollins two weeks ago was exciting. The one this week was boring and repetitive, and Rollins really did not sell this match with his promo afterward. Where do you stand going into this? And honestly, do you see Seth Rollins winning the title back at SummerSlam? I don't know how they could make that make sense. Storyline-wise, I don't know how they could present a match where we would feel happy afterwards with Rollins going over, even though he's a babyface that people obviously really like. 
We nailed this to open the the extended audio version of this week's podcast. So if you're watching this on video, please download the full audio. Uh, We sort of nailed what was wrong in terms of presenting Seth Rollins this way, how they've given him X-Pac go-home heat. They've given him some of that apathetic sort of Roman-type reaction to him as a babyface. He's better as a heel. We know this. I don't think they're going to turn him heel here. So if they're not going to do that, you have to have Brock Lesnar win. And I think you have Brock Lesnar win actually dominantly. I know that goes against what we're sometimes led to believe. And that's when somebody takes a beating in the go-home episode or the combined final few weeks leading into a pay-per-view. It's typically the setup for that guy who's been beaten to come back over the top. But it all goes back to where they screwed up at WrestleMania. Seth beat Brock way too easily. We didn't know if Brock was going back to the UFC. We didn't know what. So a couple low blow shots and three stomps and he wins the title right there. If you have Brock lose to him again without a Seth Rollins dirty, violent heel turn that would really pop the crowd, you're killing Brock Lesnar. You really are. You're killing him. Because in theory, look, what's, what's pro wrestling? Pro wrestling is a sort of fake presentation of what real fighting would be. And there's no chance Seth Rollins can beat up Brock Lesnar under that unless you're getting help or there's a storyline where he was, you know, he's just overcoming so much. He's not going to give up, which they tried to do this week and it didn't work, as you mentioned. So you only make Brock Lesnar the, by the way, former UFC heavyweight champion look really bad if he's going to lose clean to Seth Rollins here. You have to have him win. And it's actually, Adam, tell me if I'm wrong here, better for business if Seth Rollins wins, why? I'm seeing if Brock Lesnar wins, why? Because we're heading into that very important territory with competition coming, with the move to SmackDown on Fox, all these things we keep telling you ad nauseum, where you're going to have to bring the big guns. What's a big gun feud to start up here? Brock Lesnar as your universal champion against AJ Styles. Maybe it doesn't work to you because AJ's a heel right now. Maybe there's an equal one you can throw out there. But that's the kind of feud you want to start off of this. So let's have Brock win and let's start doing some big business. Yeah, it's tough. The only reason I'm not definitely picking Brock Lesnar, I haven't decided yet. We'll have our official picks later this week on CBSSports.com. The only reason I'm not 100% in that camp is they had a white meat baby face and Seth Rollins on Raw, dejected, thinking about quitting, guaranteeing he will win the title at the second biggest pay-per-view of the year. And WWE Vince McMahon does not ever have faces guarantee victory and then have them lose. So if you're asking me going into the match coming off of Monday Night Raw, do I think Seth Rollins should win? No. But there is a chance that in the course of the match, over the course of this match on Sunday at SummerSlam, they do a good enough job storytelling-wise to make me believe and want Seth Rollins to win. If he gets beat down but keeps kicking out, hits a couple really great moves and almost has Lesnar a couple times but can't get the one, two, three, and then eventually somehow either rolls him up, hits a stomp finisher three times, whatever the case might be, what they can't give us is honestly what you suggested, which is another quick match because we've seen it before. We saw Brock Lesnar do that to John Cena where he hit him with 15 German suplexes, an F5, beat him clean, and then you had to get Cena coming back. They continued the storyline. My key is I don't want to continue the storyline anymore. Just like I didn't want any more Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, 
I don't want any more Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins. We just had this match at WrestleMania. They had the opportunity to give us a great match. Instead, they do what they always did. They did what they always do whenever they have Brock Lesnar lose, which is they really don't have him lose clean. It took low blows for The Undertaker, John Cena, Seth Rollins just to beat The Undertaker. Even Roman Reigns needed the distraction of Braun Strowman outside the ring in order to beat Brock Lesnar. For me, it's just, let's get this over with one way or another. I'm of the belief you don't need Brock Lesnar to have the universal title to make him matter in WWE. He can have matches with any superstar on both brands, be a dominant beast, and win a ton. Ultimately, BC, I do think they move Brock Lesnar over to the blue brand, over to SmackDown before that launch on Fox. So if you're going to do that, you do need to have Brock Lesnar lose the title here. So for me, ultimately, I don't mind if they put Seth over, but they better rectify all the booking errors they've made the last few weeks in the actual match on Sunday in Toronto. I just, I can't handle, and look, if this is, this is going to be the main event. We know it is. This is the biggest business match in terms of the, the names there. They're not going with Trish and Charlotte with no title on the line. So this is the big one. You got to have something though, more than just babyface Rollins overcomes and wins and the crowd cheers. So I'm wondering because you know how badly I not want but need Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins to main event next year's WrestleMania in Tampa, and I need a Mega Powers 2.0 storyline to get there. Since Roman doesn't have a match technically for Sunday, are we looking at WrestleMania 4 main event style booking here to go full-on Mega Powers for you, where Reigns is playing the role of Hulk Hogan, ringside in Rollins' corner, helping him out. Rollins can play the role of Randy Savage. Kind of makes a ton of sense, right? Reigns helps him win. The two Shield members that are remaining close the show arm in arm with the title around Seth's waist, and that begins the run toward their friendship breaking up and eventually meeting at next year's WrestleMania. And the reason why I bring this up now one, because I'm a monster mega powers mark, and I'm not going <laughs> to die, Adam, until this gets cashed in and this happens. But two, because in some form, your SummerSlam main event should inform, tip off, or set the stage for what your WrestleMania main event is the next year. This is perfect. It would work. The problem is we have not seen Reigns and Rollins near each other, even in the same vicinity, since that man formerly known as Dean Ambrose left WWE. So it would take a lot of day of booking backstage segments and, and pep talks and things like that to get these two back together to make something like that happen. And let's not forget Roman is dealing with his own issues on SmackDown, as we mentioned earlier, possibly with Daniel Bryan. So ultimately BC, I think SummerSlam is going to be a good show. I do put some trust in WWE to deliver because for all of our issues with their week to week television and their lacking uh, continuity in terms of their booking styles. The pay-per-views have delivered as of late. This one has another one. But if you're telling me to have high hopes based on the build to this show, you're not going to get me to say yes. It, they have to deliver. They really do. Because the only time WWE really forces themselves to change is when it's financially fueled. And right now it is that. There's competition coming. They got to put that stomp down right now and remind people that it's going to be different heading into this, this fall season. And with Paul Heyman on board, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the, the over in terms of them coming up and, and delivering, you know, kicking us, stomping us right in that feel hole 
All right, Adam, SummerSlam behind us, but that's obviously not the only thing going on. As we mentioned a few times, we will have our separate NXT episode this week previewing TakeOver Toronto. Big-time interviews coming your way with Adam Cole, Bay Bay, and Johnny Gargano. But we got Japan. We got that drug. And we got the G1 Climax 29. And it ends this weekend. Who scheduled this crap? Is this, a, is this a counter schedule, a counter move by WWE to bring SummerSlam in a week or two earlier than normal to have it go on the same weekend and completely overshadow G1? Because it kind of is, unless you're a super mark. I don't know, because the announcement of SummerSlam, the date, was well in advance of NGPW announcing the G1. So I don't think that's the case, even though WWE obviously could have made an educated guess based on when the G1 Climax Finals normally are the weekend every year. But either way, I don't like it. I think uh, WWE did move SummerSlam up this year for reasons that we are believing to be their Saudi Arabia deal. They know they have to have that event in early November. Like, I think it's the first week of November or the last week of October. Uh, They actually just announced it. It's going to be on a Thursday this time because now SmackDown is on a Friday. So their, their schedule gets really screwed up every time they have one of these events, which happens twice a year. And the events surrounding it get screwed up because of it. Uh, You saw after WrestleMania, they did not have a pay-per-view between Mania and Money in the Bank in terms of, you know, their regular scheduled pay-per-views. So I think that is the, that is why this happened. But I, the the bigger thing that I hate is that we're doing this show and it's not our fault, but we do the show on a Wednesday. We're not even close to the finals of the blocks. There was one show to this morning on, on, we taped this on Wednesdays, as I said, I'm actually not including those results in the stuff I'm going to bring up to you because I wanted it to be even. Two shows left in each block as we move forward to the finals in each block and then obviously the finals overall, which is the morning of SummerSlam. Yeah, right? I was going to ask you to, to, to let our listeners know if you have that info in front of you. What, what, is, our in, what is the info on the, the final day of each block and then the final like the championship uh, show the next day? What, what is the breakdown? Do you have that info in front of you? Because I don't. Yeah. I, I have everything. So, and every time I say this, we're talking early morning Eastern time in the United States. The final of the A block is Friday. The final of the B block is Saturday. And then the finals overall, A versus B, is Sunday. Ooh, so so what time do, does, is that a 3 a.m., 4 a.m.-ish start? Or is that a... Yeah, they're going to start, you know, anywhere from like 2 to 3 a.m. I forgot the exact situation. And the final matches in each show, the main event of each show should be around like that 5 a.m., you know, 6 a.m. time. So right. I, I am I just feel bad here because the the quality of the tournament this year, we expected it before we found out who was going to be in it. We expected it was going to take a dive. We've already talked about this. I know. But like, it's great. It's friggin great. I don't think it's better than the last two years, but it's no. great in its own way. And this is the least amount of time I've given it the entire time. I mean, Adam, this sped up on us. It just felt ill-timed. Normally, to be honest with you, boxing and MMA sort of take the summer off. End of July, all of August. This year, though, things had been pretty hot, especially July. was just out of control from that hot fire UFC card in Vegas through Pacquiao Thurman. Normally, we don't get a blockbuster July boxing pay-per-view. So those are my excuse-driven ways of telling you I'm the least informed this year, match to match. I catch up one to two matches per day, try to read people's reactions on Twitter, but I'm, I'm a neophyte right now. I'm going to be honest. We're being honest with the people. I'm going to be fired up to catch Friday, Saturday, and Sunday live, 
but I am just not up to where I want to be. This is going to have, this probably going to have to be one of those things where a couple months from now, it's a Thursday night. I got nothing going on. Wife goes to bed early. I go back and try to just power watch a ton of these and get really drunk. That's probably what's going to happen. It's coming the guy from the guy who still has not watched the second May Young classic and won't watch anything else. Well, you, know, you, 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 you cursed it, Adam. You, we've been through that before. Hey, look, you did curse. You it. know, you know, it's been almost universal that people have agreed with me that the uh, best matches on the May Young classic two were really that damn good, BC. So I'm actually the opposite of you. Uh, I have been able to catch up primarily because I've been doing so much stuff in my house, so much uh, hanging pictures and. and you know, ar- arranging furniture, things like that, that I'm able to put it on in the background and watch it as opposed, you know, because summer shows right now on the networks, not counting Big Brother on CBS, of course, uh, are lacking. I have not really enjoyed the summer programming. So for me, it's actually been great to have the G1 to watch. That said, I'm only caught up as much as I can be, which is the matches before today, which is Wednesday, August 7th. So there are, as of today, there are two, which I haven't watched yet. There are two shows left in the A block, two shows left in the B block. And then obviously we're going to get that final on Sunday. So here's where the A block stands, BC. We have Kaz Okada entering Wednesday with 12 points. Abushi Kota with 10 points. Uh, the matches today that went down were Okada versus Evil and Abushi versus Zack Sabre well, Jr. Let me, it, let me make it easy for you. You don't have to read anything else. Friday, and then Friday, the main event of the final A block. Abushi Kota versus Kaz Okada. So it comes down to this. Everyone's eliminated except for Okada and Abushi. They're wrestling on the last day of the A Block Friday morning. The tie the winner wins it because the tiebreaker goes to the winner. So whoever wins that match is going oh, uh, to the it, it finals. It depends what they did. It depends what they did today. I assume they both won, but we don't know that. But go ahead. I'm going to tell you right now, whoever wins that match on Friday is going to the finals and you couldn't have picked two better. If it can't be Osprey, then going Okada and Abushi dream here. Friday morning is going to be fantastic in terms of where this is headed in the in the quality of the match and all that. The real qual- the real question is this B block because okay. at press time Adam Seven of the ten still have a shot. Well, this is the deal. This is what I had. Again, uh, the next matches for the B block will be Thursday. We have John Moxley on top with ten. He did lose back to back matches, uh, so, so he finally he lost suffered. To Jay White, I saw. Who was the other one? Uh, uh, your your boy, oh, Yano. Yano. Yes, Yano. Yep. Which was a great match, of course. Um, but Moxley's in first with ten, and then two points behind him: Jay White, Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto. And Tetsuya Naito. So that caught up real quick. And just like you and I guessed uh, last week on the show when we're saying, hey, uh, Gato, what are you doing with this B block? It looks pretty crappy. Well, this is what I'm doing is what he's his oh, the guy, the guy that DM'd us in crap on Gato, to that guy's credit, I don't have his name in front of me. Do you remember who it was? No. It was Jeff Foot, Tom Foot, Tom Foot, right? Tom Foot, 92 or something. That sure. guy came back and was like, holy crap. I'm oh, going to, uh, where, where's that, that great sound bite by, uh, Nick, Nick Costos here. It's coming at you. Take the L and admit you're wrong because you sound ridiculous. Tom Foot took the L and admitted he was wrong <laughs> and put all the love back in Gato for what he did the last four or five days. Um, Juice Robinson and Yano also technically still alive at six, but this sure. is going to be interesting, Adam. This B block is going to be how it's been the past few years where you're going to enter that final day. There's going to be like four matches that can affect who comes out of there. So you're sure. going to have to really watch the whole thing all the way through and do the math. I want to read one thing to you, however, about this B block that could influence who's coming out of it, Adam Silverstein. 
Are you aware? No. That Dina, FKA Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, did an interview with the daily Japanese sports newspaper, Nikkin Sports, N-I-K-K-A-N. Yes. So um, our boy uh, TalkBox, Bob Backlund at TalkBox, a great member of the the Rushmore, great member of our extended family. Look, Adam, sometimes people in families don't don't get along. They don't talk. They may block each other, but they're still family. You hear you hear what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. Are you feeling what I'm? Can you can you lend me your Mick Foley ears? Friends, Roman Reigns, Mex Americans. Thank you, Talk Box. Um, he sent me this interview, and now look, I've researched this paper. It seems legit. This is a legitimate sports newspaper. Maybe I'm not woke to. Does Japanese newspapers do kayfabe interviews, Adam? I mean, did you, I know you're away from the microphone. Uh, I, I don't think they do. This is a legitimate outlet, and right. I've, seen, I've, I've seen the quote circulating, and it is legit. Here's the translated quote sent to me from TalkBox from his buddy Grump Handle Slam. The translation seems weak here, but here we go. Quote, fortunately, there are no problems in fighting in New Japan while belonging to an American organization. In the future, I can always show up in Japan and play games. That's where the rough translation comes in. Play games means have matches. Naturally, I want to do it at the Tokyo Dome. If you win the G1, you can fight in the main event of the Tokyo Dome. End quote. Ambrose goes on to say his dream match is Suzuki. But Adam, is this telling me what I think that is telling me? The MVP of the 2019 G1. The guy, Climax 29, who's making us Climax. The guy, John Moxley. Is is he not done in Japan? Adam, he told the sports newspaper if he wins this tournament, he's going to Wrestle Kingdom 13, whatever the hell it is, in January. That's not what he's saying. I mean, this is typical... This is typical Brian Okay, co- co- teach Taking me then. something small. Okay, what he's saying is there's nothing in my contract with AEW preventing me from working with New Japan beyond the G1. And that he would love to be at the Tokyo Dome and fight there. And, you know, if he does win the G1 Climax, that he can get there. But you know what else he can do? Not win the G1 Climax and still have Adam, a match they said, at the Tokyo Dome, just like, just like Chris Jericho okay. does. Th- this was a, in response to a question that asked whether he will be competing in New Japan after the G1. Right. And he right. said, fortunately, there's no problems while in doing this while belonging to an American organization. Right. So what he's saying is, look, what, our, what you and I were asking about John Moxley that we weren't sure about is, is his allowance from his AEW contract to work with NJPW only until they start on TV or forever? And it seems like he has the same contract that Kenny Omega has, the same contract that Chris Jericho has, where they are allowing him to fight in NJPW whenever he wants. The question is, based on AEW storylines, based on booking, who knows if they're going to have a pay-per-view in December or January? We don't know. We don't know where they're going after All Out right now, which is August 31st, by the way. There's nothing else announced. So we don't know if he's going to be available for something like that. I'm sure they have first right of refusal. So for them to book him and JPW to win the G1, which would mean he has to be in the Tokyo Dome, they would basically have to get either AEW approval, or I should say he would have to get AEW approval for that. That but he is, told them that he, nothing is stopping him. So who do we believe, Dave Meltzer or or he's Jonathan saying nothing be good. stopping him from working for them 
I assume that he that date is cleared in his contract, but that doesn't mean he's winning the G one. Well, here's the deal, Adam. Um, I choose to live in a in a world of optimism, as we know. I'm a power. I'm a power of positivity. So, you're telling me there's a chance there's that a chance. Saturday morning when we watch the B Block final, that John Moxley, who has been again the MVP of this tournament, that Jay White match I watched, loved it. Um, you're telling me he can win this. He can. I think that is the difference between our prior conversations and this conversation where we said, hey, we don't even know if he can win this. So, yes, he can. There is that possibility. Will you allow yourself to get excited about that possibility or will you watch every match going and not going to happen? I don't want him to win. I would rather him be in in a Tokyo Dome match against Suzuki or against Tanahashi or someone like that. I don't want him to face Okada for the title. Who do you want? Who does the fan inside? Oh, you want to, you want the, the stone pit bull. Ibushi, yeah. No, I want Ibushi Kota versus Ishii in the finals. If I was booking it as a fan, that's what I would do. All right. I just want to remind you. I know I just said it a couple minutes ago that uh, the 10th best wrestler in the world is still in it. Okay. So I would pop balls for a nice baby face. You know what? The gods of wrestling. You're right. Ishii, you're right. Ishii is still in it. The gods of wrestling know how badly Vince McMahon screwed me out of Buddy Murphy and then turned Buddy Murphy into a bitch. That <laughs> that it seems like it's coming back around for me. Mox could win this. Juice Robinson not eliminated. Imagine Juice going on a babyface run to win this why thing. Like the, why don't you like the Japanese performers? I've got nothing against it, dude. I, for, I, my top 10 pound for pound wrestlers in the world in terms of ability, the first six wrestle in New Japan and five of them are Jap- or four of them are Japanese. Come on. <laughs> it's giving you a hard time. All right. So here's here's where we stand. We stand at Moxley at 10. The other four guys I mentioned, White, Ishii, Goto, and Naito at eight. Thursday, we have Moxley against Goto. So that could eliminate Goto, potentially. Goto's or, not winning this. Let's get that out of our minds. I don't not think winning. so either. Or it would bring Moxley down. And then Saturday, we have Moxley against Juice, which is a rematch oh, of the U.S. Yes. title match which also allows Juice the opportunity to potentially play spoiler. Yes. And maybe they have that trilogy into at the Tokyo Dome. That's another option. Well, he's not eliminated, though, Adam. He can win this thing. He can upset Mox. Yes, what I'm saying is he can take Moxley out of it by beating Moxley, basically. And then you have Naito versus Jay White, and that is the other match. So White has the tiebreaker on Moxley. Moxley has the tiebreaker on Naito and Ishii. So there is a possibility... If Juice beats Moxley and White wins out, that we get either Okada or Ibushi well, against Jay White in the finals of G1 Climax 29. Juice and Jay White do meet on the final day. Yeah, but again, Juice has six points. Right, so if Juice beats Mox... He needs everyone else to lose. Yes, if Juice beats Mox and Jay White, he finishes with 10, and he would need... Well, Naito, Goto, Ishii, or White would need to win only one of two, so they'd all finish in a tie, and then it'd be down to tiebreaker. And, but if, and he'd have to have the tiebreaker over whoever he's tied dude, with. Dude, I feel like Juice might come out of this. I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but I, I really don't think they are putting Okada or Ibushi against Juice. Here's I think the Juice, thing. They're not putting Jay White in the, the final. Plan, I think the plan is for Juice to win the U.S. title back against Moxley at Russell. All right, here's where we're going to be really honest with the people, okay? Goto's not, not going to the final, all right? We know that. Jay White yeah. can't go to the final either because he just he just wrestled Okada last year and in, in, this year in a big thing. He's not getting that that type of push again. Uh, Toriano's not going. I mean, it would be Gato's it'd be Gato style to to push Naito. Um, you know, the wild card is Moxley. Obviously, do they just go for it? Even if he's going to lose, even if he would lose to Obushi, 
in the G1 final. Adam, that match would be fine. That'd be fine. Be I like fantastic. that. Okay. I'm, I'm so, I can, I can fix my issues with, with G1. The only issues are me and my time. I could fix this by watching Friday, Saturday morning, by getting up all three early and watching yeah. them. I can yeah. fix this all and be right back where I need to be. Do you have any other closing comments, predictions, must haves, complaints, anything about NJPW? No, it's been good. It's been a good G1, as you kind of intimated at the beginning. Doesn't hold the candle to the last two years, but here's the truth. When you don't have Kenny Omega in there, it's pretty tough to live up to that. Or, or honestly, someone like Minoru Suzuki, too. Like, there are names not in this event that have made it a step down from past events. I don't need to see Bad Luck Fale in this anymore. Stop. Somebody's got to take the L's. Yeah, but I hear you. I hear you. Uh, it have to be him. Put someone new and interesting in there, you know? I'm with you. Uh Closing points here, a couple of wrestling points. Did you end up hearing uh, Hulk Hogan's interview with Steve Austin on his podcast? I did not. It was good. Um, it was good. It was entertaining. It was good. It it was the it was part one. Eventually, they're going to do a part two. It's just it's typical Terry though because every situation he has to remind you that, um, yeah. or not remind right. you, he has to invent that he was the brains behind it, right? So it's like, you know, I told everybody three years ago that Kevin Owens was going to be this big star, you know? And it's like, I told Triple H, and look at him now. Or, or uh, you know, I told Vince he was wrong when they put Undertaker over, or when they put um, Ultimate Warrior over me. And it's like every situation across the board, he's like, he's trying to take credit for that, too. Like, anyone that got hot for a season, he's like, well, I did tell Vince, uh, you know, he should really push that guy. So that's that's typical, Terry. Um so I'm I'm coming at this from a weird thing because it's the whole Hogan problem, right? Because you right. you you love him. It's like a family member, it's like a dad or or an uncle or something. But he's got problems, and he hurt, broke your heart, right? And um, I want him to be happy, and he sounds happy in life, so I'm happy for that. But um, I mean, he's yeah. got like despite forget the stuff that he is self inflicted. There's a lot of self inflicted wounds yes. that Terry has on himself, but he also has gone through a lot of familial issues definitely uh, with his, you know, his divorce and his son got in that accident and, and he almost died from like t- all those back surgeries he had and whatever Absolutely. but um i'm sure there were and uh, you know i'm not saying anything i don't know anything but i'm sure over the course of his career there were painkillers and alcohol you know there's all these things of the era that he grew he uh came became popular in so and he's always been in the spotlight although he's welcomed that the entirety of his career so you have to put all of that into context when you evaluate someone and where they stand in life again that does not atone for any of his self-inflicted stuff no which is, no no not know, at all um deserves, deserves as much criticism as he's received it's weird but. he went in hiding right about the time the wrestling podcast game blew up right back in 2015 where like every wrestler had a podcast or every wrestler was being plucked plucked from obscurity and they were doing the deep dive about their career and look it's a big reason why a lot of us got into podcasts in the beginning and even though he did that one with bischoff a couple years ago he really is under undertapped still from the idea of let's sit down and go like real in-depth details on all the big moments in your career. So I think there's still something there, whether it happened through Austin or if he gets his own show, but that would probably be a, a shit show. You're, but, you're uh, trying to tell me that Silver King needs to book Hulk Hogan. Is that what I'm hearing? I don't, he doesn't, it, uh, he's not doing this show. Come on, bro, brother. He's not, he's not doing this show. Don't, don't, don't make that challenge. He's I mean, not. I heard you laugh. I heard you get off on it. Yeah, he knows. He knows some things. All right, final bit of business. Quick little DM. I think I, w- I want to ask you this question. I want to hear your take on this. Um, Kentucky Long Rifle from Bob Blackland at TalkBox. Our guy, he says this. 
Slide in in those SOC DMs like Mox rolling up to Yano's house with Silver King, Victor, and a full jewel blowing vapor from all the windows. I well, that was a, that's a hell of a statement right there. I have an SOC crossover question for you, BC and Adam. You know combat sports with all this internal beef between Matt Riddle and WCW guys. It gets me thinking about how Riddle wants to retire Brock. So who wins in a legit shoot fight, Matt Riddle? Or Brock Lesnar, hashtag only gobbledygookers block people, hashtag hi Adam. I guess, Adam, we can leave the personal feelings between you and TalkBox to the side. Um, Matt Riddle's been getting his name out there a lot. Didn't he break the, the Goldberg Dolph Ziggler news accidentally? Isn't he challenging everyone, basically? Well, he tweeted a graphic that a fan made after it was reported by Meltzer or whoever else that I'm sure WWE did not want him to tweet. Uh, even though it's, it was pretty obvious of what the direction they were going, didn't to everyone but you apparently who still thought it was going to be Shawn Michaels Ziggler. I, I was hoping for the best. Um, who wins, Adam? Real shoot fight right now, 2019. Matt Riddle or Brock Lesnar? Shoot fight, uh, Matt Riddle. Really? Yeah. He even though he, he was a UFC welterweight, I know he's a lot bigger how many, now. How many years does he have on him, Brian? Okay, but we're. We are talking about Brock Lesnar, the 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 shoot UFC former heavyweight champion who's still pretty damn athletic and roided up. Yeah, I mean, was Bro- let me ask you this. So you're, I mean, you're asking me an MMA question when you're the MMA guy here. But from what I've seen of Matt Riddle, uh, YouTube clips after WWE signed him, I got really curious about his UFC career. Uh, ability was clearly not the reason this guy, you know, was right. fired basically uh, from UFC by Dana White. I don't care so much about weight differential. I care about ability, active competition. You got a guy in Riddle who is an athlete, actively being an athlete every single week, multiple times a week on the NXT house show loop, still does MMA training consistently versus Brock Lesnar, who I think is probably slower, older, and maybe never as talented from a um, skills, MMA skills standpoint as Riddle maybe always has been. So if you're only, if the only thing you're bringing to the table is size and strength, I'm going with the guy who can submit you and break your leg. That's interesting. I still think Brock could take him down and just out wrestle him and ground upon him because of the size difference. But Brock is slowly getting washed and Brock could never take a punch to begin with. So it's interesting. My my history of Brock Lesnar and MMA from watching him, I've seen every MMA match he's had because it's Brock Lesnar, right? So why would it be? There's like eight of them. So yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. So he bull. I mean, actually, technically, I think I've seen every match both of them ever had in UFC, right? So Brock Le- Brock Lesnar almost has the Rousey syndrome a little bit, where like Rousey would bull rush a woman and get her and tap her out, and whatever, until she couldn't, right? Until until Rousey tried that, and Holly Holm just like sidestepped her, punched her in the face, and that was it. And to me, Lesnar's always been kind of similar in, in that regard. But again, Brian, I'm not the MMA analyst, so you I, tell me I, I I'm wrong. I wanted your opinion, wanted to give you the forum to talk about Matt Riddle, who's making a lot of noise lately. Wanted to see if you had any response to TalkBox calling you, saying only a gobbledygooker blocks people. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, would Matt Riddle to you, who would you compare him to in current UFC? Usman? I mean, Matt Riddle wasn't that. I mean, he he got cut on a four fight win streak, but he didn't show title potential. He was young. He was he was. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about athleticism, length, ability. Like he is a unique individual. He's a unique individual for the pro wrestling game. I didn't look at him as a unique individual for the okay. shoot fighting game. I looked at him as a 
it's a solid fighter who smokes weed every day. Yes. All right. Well, we love all of our listeners here, so thank you for putting in the time this week on this extended SummerSlam preview. Thank you to Drew McIntyre for stopping by. Be sure to check out our NXT bonus episode floating out this week. Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, a lot of laughs, a lot of inside baseball about their incredible trilogy that they have formed together, how these matches get put together, why they're so great. The -the behind-the-scenes vignettes at Gargano's Pizza, all that stuff. You're going to want to listen and check that out. Instant analysis show Sunday night after SummerSlam. No bed sheets required. But for the Silver King. Yeah, what do you got? What do you got, Silver King? Oh, no bed sheets required. Wow. You know, well, because I I got a good feeling we're going to get a good show. And like last year when Vince was in full mail-in mode and you were a hook, line, and sinker. This is also the first SummerSlam you're not attending in like Three, four years, right? It's not a bad thing, all right. It's not. I got a lot of. I, I, I've been. I've done a lot of things. I've been everywhere, man. Okay, I can. It's okay. I can take a. Bring, I can take an August off, all right. Seriously, bringing that laptop into the Barclays Center is not ideal. Not fun. Oh yeah, you're gonna see Kenny Omega beat the ever living poop. No, we're not Kenny. You're not gonna be in the G1 this weekend. Yeah. Um, it makes me a little bit upset. But AEW is coming. Uh, you told me what are they calling the new show? Possibly. Well, there, there is a copyright that has been filed, apparently, or trademark, I should say, that has been filed for AEW. Revolution, and if you didn't guess that was the name of the show from Cody screaming screaming it, uh, you know, 17 times every time he tries to cut a promo against Vincent Kennedy McMahon, uh, I don't know what to tell you, but that does make sense as the name of that particular show. It, It works. I love that name. That name is fan forget. That name gets me excited about AEW again. But lately, I've been down. I've been a little bit down on them. You know what? I got so I'm being honest. I'm not hating on AEW. AEW Revolution sounds to me more like a WWE main event, like a like a crappy second rate show. Not so much where you have like Wednesday Night Dynamite. That is a wrestling show name, you know. I would go with something more like that. Revolution wow, to me it. just it sounds generic. Like Dude, generic night. is nothing. This is this like is this UFC, what they're doing. Fight night. Okay, this is the revolution. This is what they're doing. So shout out to Cody. Uh, shout out to um, Bob Backlund at Talkbox. I don't know if we talked about him yet. One of the best guys you'll ever meet. Huge hog. Um, yeah, there you go. Shout out to our listeners. Guys, what a time to be a wrestling fan. What a time to be alive. What a time to be on this show. Talking about it each week for the Silver King. I'm your boy, BC. We are out of here. The interview is over. Interview. Interview. Yeah.